And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Execute episode 66. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Pissed me off. It's a trap. Chewie, get us out of here. You can't run. Help me. R2. This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Wars Monthly Monday, episode 66. And wow, I haven't said this is Star Wars Monthly Monday in how long now? It's Uh, been over a year, like a year and a half or something. Oh, no, it's been much longer than that, I'm sure. I'm I'm actually kind of scared to look back to see how long it's been. But uh, we did we did a Star Wars monthly Monday, like sort of the state of the Star Wars. No, I think it was right around when the last monthly Monday. What's that? That wasn't Star Wars monthly Monday. Oh, Remember, Star Wars Monthly Monday ended when we stopped, when we completed doing Marvel Star Wars. So that was probably uh, growing up Ah. Star Wars. Ah, but touche, I will remind you that we were planning on starting up Star Wars Monthly Monday again. (laughs) Using a new batch of Star Wars comics at some time when we were hatching big plans. Can I throw a wrinkle in here? Sure. Wrinkle it up, man. That episode was Star Wars Monthly Monday. It came was out it? January 1st, 2018. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. I stand corrected. <laughs> now, before that, it was like 2014. So, wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, and, well, this, and the, that 2014 was the last time we came on here to talk about a Star Wars comic from Marvel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... Before we get too ahead of ourselves here, we're, we're just, I think we're all chomping at the bit to uh, to discuss, and it's just it's just fun to be back. Yes. Uh, I want to introduce us properly here. So I am Scott Gardner, and uh, joining me for this episode, as always, is my bestest pal in the whole universe, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Here you go. <laughs> and also joining us from the uh, long overdue to get a new episode out. Uh, growing up Star Wars is our good friend, Mr. Scott Rifen. Wait a minute. I gotta, I'm blowing the dust off the name growing up Star Wars. Hang on a sec. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's call it growing old Star Wars. Growing really old growing Star old. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> growing, growing mold. <laughs> <laughs> 
so uh, welcome back. If uh, if you're a longtime listener to the show and been very patient waiting for us to get something new out, uh, you know, some new episode from the uh, the OG uh, Two True Freaks. The show um, that is more or less the reason I podcast. Really? Well, think about it. I didn't get into podcasts after I met you guys at your Marvel Star Wars panel at Star Wars Celebration 6. Six. I thought, six. I, thought yeah. I thought you had I thought you were way ahead of us on the pod. I thought you were just a fellow podcaster who showed up there. You just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, see, I always no. thought you had. I, I always thought podcasting was already you know in the queue for you. I didn't. Re- I never realized that before. We, we no. were flattered that a like that a like pro level podcaster was appreciating well. our stuff. <laughs> Well, I'm a pro-level broadcaster, but uh, podcasting was not. We'd had I'd had some conversations with Ryan of Dinner for Geeks fame uh, about it, but we hadn't really done anything or pursued it. I didn't really listen to it. It didn't really get me going. And you guys, with your presentation, because if you remember, I showed up at your at your uh, your little forum, your little panel, uh, <laughs> yes. looking looking to fight back when you guys started slagging Marvel Star Wars, only to find out that you actually were as much in love with it as I was. No, we came there to fight the audience who were (laughs) expecting us to slag Marvel star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. We we, we felt like we just snuck into something and we're like, now we can hatch the plan and prove to everybody that we are not the crazy ones. They are. (laughs) And it turns out that that was a good, yeah, it turns out almost everybody there was a fan of Marvel Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah. that was a good time. I, I really liked that. If, if I had any regrets about that, was only that uh, I think it was you, Scott, that came up with uh, with a really good name that we went with later when we did another uh, uh, oh, yeah. podcast panel at another convention, which was uh, more than just a big green rabbit. I wish we had yeah. done that you know, thought of that for that one that we did at Celebration. But so to give a little bit of background and context on this uh, for anybody that may be, you know, new to Two True Freaks or God forbid this is your first episode or anything like that, or you just haven't, you know, you've just begun listening to uh, what we put out. So Chris and I, we, we are the, we are the Two True Freaks. We are the ones that, you know, founded the network and everything and and began this whole mess back in uh, 2008 and when we started out the show, for the first few episodes, I don't want to say we were directionless, but we were kind of directionless. I mean, we, we, just, directionless. we just wanted to get together and, and just shoot the shit, really. And after a little bit, you know, we kind of conferred and we were trying to think, okay, how can we give the show a little more direction than what it has? Like, what would we really, like, want to cover? What would we want to focus yeah, I, on? I, I think anything? we were figuring out we were probably going to do it for a while. And we were like, okay, we got to put some structure to this or else right. we're just going to ramble off a cliff somewhere. Yep, exactly. So at some point we decided to go with monthly formats for basically four different shows. So basically each week we would have a show, uh, you know, each week of the month, but each one of those weeks would focus on a different subject. So that because you would say the first week of the month would be Star Wars uh, then every month there would be a new Star Wars episode. So hence Star Wars Monthly Monday. And that really was the backbone of Two True Freaks was that particular show. And right out of the gate, we decided that what we wanted to cover 
in that show and the thing that really stuck around for all the episodes because things came and went we did book reviews we talked a bit about the clone wars uh, cartoon series things like that but the thing that really was not only the backbone of star wars monthly monday but also really in my mind the backbone of two true freaks period was covering the marvel star wars run all 107 issues plus the annuals plus the special issues plus the Marvel UK material that was not reprinted here in the United States, at least not at that time. So we covered all of that stuff over the course of about seven years. We, we did the entire series and, and everything, and it was great. And I'm often asked why Two True Freaks doesn't, you know, Chris and I proper don't really have the, the prolific content that we used to have back in those early days. And frankly, I think a lot of it is because we finished Marvel Star Wars. And once we finished it, I, I don't want to say my enthusiasm went out of it, but it was like, we once again, we don't really have that structure because we didn't have that to fall back on. We, we kind of, we completed our mission statement, so to speak. So it was really exciting to me, and, and I'm, I'm curious to ask you guys about this as well, but it was exciting to me to find out that, oh my gosh, after all these years, after nearly 33 years, we were finally going to get a new issue of Marvel Star Wars picking up the numbering from the original issue. So that's what we're here to cover tonight, is to cover the brand new, just released uh, Star Wars 108. So what, what did you guys uh, think about the announcement of there being an issue 108? In the back of my mind, I sort of thought it was an eventuality just because there's always been, you know, even back when we did that panel, people talking about it and whether whether they're griping about it or not. Here's the thing. We've there's so many things that are sort of like some of our um, um, white whale type things or, or tilting at windmill type stuff like Star Trek, the motion picture, things that people always sort of slandered that were like, no, this is good. And right. now that we're old, <laughs> we've had those decades to where people are starting to figure out, hey, Mar that original Marvel Star Wars may not have been the greatest comic series in the world, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. And it's not really, you know, it, it doesn't deserve the maligning that it got. And there's been a lot of talk about that. You know, there you hear people going like, wait, really? Was it bad? And there's been a lot of talk about basically to the point of it's not just a big green rabbit. So right. I figured by the sort of amount of Marvel comics they started putting out when they started putting out Marvel Star Wars comics again, that eventually they would try it, you know, throw it against the wall and see what would stick. So when it happened, but when it happened, I just couldn't believe how awesome it was. Also, the first thing I thought was, wait a minute, our mission statement. <laughs> this <laughs> triggers our mission statement. And that's kind of cool. It, it, it gives you that feeling of being, you know, the old soldier of fortune who's living at home, whittling old sea captains. And, and somebody comes <laughs> to the door and is just like, listen, man, the world's in danger. We need right. you to we need you to, you know, cut a few heads off and get back in the game. And then we go, I don't know, man, I'm too old for this shit. And and next thing you know, here we are. So I'm pretty. All I can think of is is 
All I can think of is uh, Sean Connery going, dear boy, you're probably too young to know this, but the Empire is always in peril. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what did you think? Well, I, you know, I first found out through Walt Simonson's, I guess his Twitter account, he posted the image of his cover for the issue. And uh, it was a new Walt Simonson illustration of Vader and, uh-oh, Valance. And Valance is one of my favorite things about old Marvel Star Wars, I'll be honest with you. Um, and so when I saw that, I was excited. Of course, as he continued to make announcements, that they're going to continue this from 108? And then I said, but how in the hell does Valance play into that? Okay, I'm going to shut up because I get Valance, so I'm just going to shut up and wait for it. But I was very, very excited. I was also curious to see how it would be embraced by the modern star Wars culture. And I think I have my answer. I will reveal later in this program. Now you hit upon something that uh, I'm, I'm glad you hit upon it. Cause I, I didn't write it in my notes, but it was something I was hoping I would remember to ask you guys along with the, the excitement. Was there any nervousness? Cause I, I felt, the same way I think that you felt, whereas, because uh, I think I, now that you say that, I think I learned about it from you sharing his post. I, I think that's where I heard about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. So, and it was I, something like doing new Star Wars art right, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And and he said something about. He made sure you knew it wasn't like a commission. Someone said he said something yeah. like maybe for Marvel or something. It was like, yeah. oh, well, well. Right. Yep. And but yeah, I, remember... I, I think there was I think there was a little bit of nervousness because again, you worry about walking into that room where everybody thinks it's all about the rabbit. Right. There was that, but there was also, you know, right away there there's there's two huge reactions I had right away. One, you know, the, the bigger one, thankfully, was oh my god, yes. But the other one that immediately was on the heels of that was wait a minute, because my trepidation was are they doing a flashback with Valance or are they bringing mm -hmm. Valance back? And we'll talk much more about that later. Yeah. In, in mm -hmm. this, I'm sure, you know, to probably, we'll probably beat it. Sure. We all have some thoughts but, on that. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was my thing was that I was really kind of emotionally torn between, I really, really want this and I'm not sure I really want this, you know? So mm -hmm. th there was definitely that. <laughs> I just remember when I saw Valance was involved, I'm like, you couldn't get much more Scott Gardner bait than that, except right. for like popping Fen Shisa on there too. Yes, <laughs> we'll definitely be talking about Fen a little bit later in this too. Mm. So the other thing was, you know, I was excited for this because I, I'm just going to be honest, and I, and I think I may have mentioned this uh, when we covered. Uh, what did we cover on growing up Star Wars? Was it just the first issue of? of Star Marvel Star Wars Volume 2, or did we do, like, the first several issues? I can't remember. We had but I know we... multiple issues, I'm thinking, because the thing that turned me off about new Marvel Star Wars really happened in issue two, and it's a different thing than what turned you off, which also, I think, happened in issue two. Right. Um, so I, I think we you did, got like, turned off. Three. You got turned off by uh, basically ad-ats and reveals of things that had not yet been introduced into the cinematic universe on that yes. timeline. Uh, I got turned it, yeah. off. I got turned off by the fact that Luke and Vader, you know, with a, a week or so after the Death Star, are clashing sabers, and I felt like that's something yes. that you should build up to. 
Um, yes. It, it just it wasn't earned at that point. It just seemed like it was fan service for the sake of fan service and and not you know tantalizing you and, and kind of you know, building up to it. So right out of the gate, when when you know, so I I'll be honest with you, and maybe this is extremely big headed of me, but but it is true. When we completed coverage of Marvel Star Wars, I felt like. In, in at least in some small way that we helped contribute. I, I will not say we were responsible, although I'd love to think so, but I will say that we contributed, I felt, at least in some small way, to maybe starting to turn the tide of opinion about the original Marvel Star Wars series. Because when we started doing that show, I firmly believe that Chris and I were basically contrarians to where we were like pretty much the only guys that looked at it and said, I love this, but everybody else hates it. And the, we're the only, try one, to the only out. other person at the time that was sort of with us on that was Bertoni. Right. Yeah. And he was doing his show, but he sort of, I, I think it sort of pod faded after a while, but he was, but he, right. was he was one the of panel. the panel. Yeah. He was on the panel with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Cause I remember, I remember meeting him then too, because again, yeah, I was there. I just wasn't podcasting. I was with you guys completely right. on that. Uh, because again, that's the reason I went to that panel was because I was going to be the guy who defended it. Uh, and right. turned out, of course, again, as I said, I didn't have to. Sorry about that, man. No, okay. Sorry about ruining your moment there. <laughs> that's that was, okay. I want a t-shirt for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, over time and, and probably a lot of it too, was actually meeting people, you know, whether, you know, face to face in real life and shaking hands or just, you know, through the Internet and, and communicating with people where well, we met a lot of people that we came to discover also loved this material, too, or at least had some level of appreciation of it other than just, you know, outright disgust and disdain for it. You know, guys like Bertoni and yourself, Scott, and uh, Mei Chun and all these other folks that you know, regularly communicated with us and, and kind of kept us motivated and going to, to keep covering this material because we found out, okay, not everybody hates it. And there are some genuine fans of this out there just like us. So by the time we wrapped it up, I was on cloud nine, man. I really was. I felt like, okay, we did a great job covering this. And I think we, nice we turned on opinions. it. Hmm. And then Marvel Star Wars Volume 2 comes out in, what was that, 2016, something like that, 15, 16? Mm. And now my my logical mind explains away, you know, what had to happen. You know, that, that they couldn't just pick up the old numbering. They couldn't just pick up the old series. They, they pretty much abandoned continuity. And this was always sketchy as to whether it was really continuity or not for a lot of people. So I, my logical mind understood why it picked up and did its own thing and, and why it ignored the fact that, you know, Luke and Vader did not duel a week after the Death Star. But like, <laughs> you know, for the first time just before Empire, you know, with Baron Tag and, you know, all that sort of thing. And it was that and also the fact that, you know, you've, you've come to really convince me, Scott, that. Uh, Jackson being on the cover of one of the variant covers mm. of issue one was not a nod, but a slight. Absolutely. I, I've come around to your way of thinking on that. And then it kind of knocked me down. You know, it kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit like, oh, you know, geez, you know, do they have to do this? They're playing right into that thing of, oh, it's, you know, the old series was so stupid and, and it was just, a, you know, all about the big green rabbit. And, and we're it, keeping and it, him locked out. 
Yes. And and I think that was honestly beyond the fact that I just generally didn't think the stories were very good. I think that's a lot of the reason why I just couldn't get into the volume two of this series. And it made me itch that much more for, man, I wish that they would go back and, and do something with the old series. You know, pick it up from where they left off or at least throw some nods in there occasionally. Mm-hmm. So, again, that really played into my excitement. You know, in even with a little bit of trepidation, but really ultimately my excitement for this issue coming out because I felt like, okay, now this is what they should have done from the get go. You know what I mean? I know why they didn't, but that's yeah. really that's how I felt was like this is what it should have been all <laughs> along. Now, now there's, I I agree with that. I had to really lower my expectations. I didn't have to, but I decided to really <laughs> lower my expectations. You were forced because. To. <laughs> because if what I want for Star Wars 108 is newsprint, <laughs> yeah. I want you <laughs> right. know square square panels and dense writing. Um, grab as many of the original whatever original creators are at large. Throw some money at Cynthia Martin and make her happy enough to come back to comics for and have some fun or so, something like that. And and print like make this make it into like even I hate to say this because I'm not big on the nostalgia thing, but make a retro object, you know, Yes. make it look like bring back that, you know, the Marvel, which they sort of did, you know, the little Star Wars panel in the corner. But, well, they did, and but, the logo. Don't don't forget the logo. The logo is is slightly the comic logo was always slightly different from the regular stat logos. Yeah. Make it look, you know, make it look and feel just like and and that that would have been a lot of fun. And uh, and then I was very disappointed to find out that, you know, really nobody nobody was really um, involved. I mean, Kerry Gamble is yeah. the only name that I recognize from the old comics. And then I found out like Walt Simonson was actually when I found out like they actually offered it to Walt Simon offered Walt Simonson the chance to do art and he was like I don't have time that at least they were thinking that way so that right. that, well, that right. made that and, feel and, better yeah the germ of the story was his as well so and then I was like you know what if these if the new guys who are working on it are doing it with you know out of appreciation for the original ones. I'm into the seeing what the new guys have to have to offer on on that if they try to you know if they can capture some of the original essence of it. So well, you know, I, I think that goes a long way because you know we'll get into our actual thoughts and feelings. I don't want to spoil yeah. any of that yet. We'll get into our thoughts and feelings on the issue and its merits and, and lack thereof or whatever. But I'll tell you, for me personally, that goes a hell of a long way. Just yeah. the fact that they weren't taking a cheap shot. They weren't, I mean, cause they, you know, there's also the possibility of doing exactly what you're talking about, doing the whole retro thing, but doing it to take the piss rather doing than a piss doing take it. on it. That's yeah, exactly and, what I was thinking. Yeah. You know, and I, God, thank God they didn't do that because that would have really, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that probably made me cry, man. I mean, I mean, <laughs> why put all that effort into it and, and get the old gang back together just to, you know, just to do something like that. So I'm glad in a way that we got what we got, if you know what I mean, because at least mm-hmm. I could feel the respect and, and the love, frankly, in the product that they that they put out. Now, again, we'll discuss the merits later, but right. 
But I, effort, I do effort, that. effort was it, put into good effort was put into this to yeah. make it, to make it something. Yeah, and they spend too much time in too many other media pissing on the legacy Star Wars characters that we don't really need them to do it on this. Right, <laughs> absolutely. Well, are we ready to get into the issue proper? I am ready. All right. So we broke down, uh, everybody got an assignment, basically, of chapters on this, um, but I didn't think that you gave anybody the assignment of the stats and the cover. So I was going to go ahead and, and jump with that just because I I did the homework on it. So if somebody else had okay. done it as well, then we'll, we'll bounce off each other. Um, but essentially, uh, this is Star Wars number 108. Uh, this came out on May 29th, 2019. Now, again, the last issue prior to this, 107, came out, are you ready for this? June 17th, 1986. Right when so, we were graduating. Yep. Hmm. This was very nearly 33 years between issues, which is just, that's that's wild. And damn, does that make me feel old. Um, now, the price box on this does not contain a price, but it does feature... Uh, oh yeah, the logo. Mine does. It, oh, does it really? It's yeah. in there. It's just real tiny. Yeah, between rated T and May. Which 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 cover are you looking at? Hang on, just a second. Let me bring my. I actually didn't have you it. You did say we could chip in if we needed to. So I'm. Oh, absolutely. In. Please, okay. yes, yes, absolutely do. We're watching um, you. That's right. I must be looking at the digital copy then because mine does not have a price Which in it. Which cover and do you have? Which cover? I'm looking I'm looking at the uh the Simonson cover. Oh yeah, no, it's it's this one oh eight and then to the right it says rated T five ninety nine US May. Okay, so I'm looking at a digital, which the t digitals I've noticed for Marvel typically don't have a price on them, so this must be the digital uh version of the paper cover. Now I did buy uh, two issues of this. We'll get into that in a minute because I want to pull you guys for which ones you got as well. But I did get two copies of this, you know, two different covers. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have them in the room with me here to check them. But if you say the price is on them, then we'll go with that. Now, I really like the there's two things on this cover. There's there's one thing I really like. And then there's one thing I absolutely loathe about the covers on this. But we'll go with the like first. So I like the fact that they used a classic logo. So the little price box logo says Marvel 80 years. Mm. Now, for one thing, I, I just I know this has nothing to do with Star Wars, but I wish Marvel would make up their mind about exactly when their company started or not, <laughs> because didn't they celebrate 100 years not long ago? But I digress. Um, but the logo. What? I'm sorry. Did they? I thought they did. I could be wrong about that, but. I don't know. I, I seemed like I remember a 75. I don't remember a, a hundred, well, but well, back usually they the, tab it to Marvel comics. Number one, don't they? Well, I, I think they've started to, but I remember back in the eighties when they were celebrating the 25th, cause I had both a cup and a button that was Marvel 25th. Well, so how did well, we jump from 25 to 80? I'm not well, that there's, old. No, well, there's, <laughs> there's two different, there's two different anniversaries to celebrate. One is the birth of the Marvel universe proper with fantastic right. Four number one. Right. And then there's the Marvel Comics number one or Marvel Mystery Comics number one, what it right. eventually became, which was, what, 39. So See, I think that's a cheat. I'll be honest with you. And, and again, I know this has nothing to do with Star Wars, but I think that's a cheat because it's not like DC where it's more or less the same universe for that entire yeah. stretch of time with Marvel. It, but 
really wasn't. But that's where it came from. Remember, right. DC made a big deal out of their 50th anniversary, and Marvel didn't have anything like that. So they went, well, we 25 of Fantastic Four. That's the Marvel Universe proper. Yep. There and you so go. that's yeah. where that really came from. Oh, by the way, I've checked for you. You are correct. The digital copy does not have the price on the okay. copy. Yep. Um, so the logo they're using here, I love this. This is a retro. Yep. Now, this doesn't go all the way back to the beginning of, of Marvel Star Wars, because no. frankly, that one might look a little goofy on this one, because you'd have yeah. Barbarian, you know, Thundar Luke. But I do like the logo they're using. So oh, that. Got, what, what's that? That I thought you were talking about the Star Wars logo, but go ahead. Oh no no no! Well, you you had noticed before, or you had commented before that the Star Wars logo proper was always a little bit different. Is this one different? Yeah, this is the old comics logo. I just I, when you said number one, I thought you were because number one actually broke up the S and the T and the R and the S. If you that, yeah, yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the 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 Marvel Comics logo for Star Wars was was a little boxier than the one that they use uh, everywhere else, right. basically. Right. Now, I, the little, I'm not sure what you would actually call it, the, the little, in the price box, back in the day, all Marvel comics would have a little inset picture yeah. um, that was basically the character appearing in the book. And in this case, this one changed a number of times over the years with Marvel Star Wars. It started out with Luke Skywalker, and they went through several different iterations, some of which that only lasted for like an issue or two. But this one lasted from issue nine it began in issue 92 and it lasted pretty much to the end of the series with the exception of issues 102 and 103 which were different but what was neat was um leia's uh coloring of her outfit would change on almost every issue so sometimes it would be in this case they're showing it it's like it's like red orange with blue highlights like blue boots and blue uh on the padding of her outfit um, but most of the time in the original series, when they showed this, it would, it was actually blue, you know, overall and the orange was the highlight. So it's, it's just neat. It's kind of flip-flopped here, but they did that through, you know, the entire end of the series there. So I like that they're using a, a retro, um, whatever you want to call that price box logo, price box picture or whatever. I just thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So as we mentioned, um, there were multiple covers for this particular issue. Now, I'm getting my information on this uh, from Wikipedia because I did not buy all of the variants. I just bought two. Um, but according to Wikipedia, there were seven, seven different uh, variant covers for this book. So you had um, what, what I consider the first and foremost one was the uh, Carmine Infantino cover, which I absolutely loved. Uh, that now that was actually a recolored and enhanced reuse of the cover of Marvel UK's uh, Star Wars Weekly number 68, which I didn't previously own anyway. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, did, did you, either of you guys get the Carmine Infantino cover? Yes, that's, that's the one I got in hard copy, and I plan on getting the Walt Simonson one too. I couldn't not cool. get the Carmine Infantino one. I'm so in tune with that era. Yes. Um, although now that you're mentioning the Star Wars Weekly, I've got a as you keep talking, I'm going to go through my files and see if I actually have that that issue. You know, for a while there, I was I was trying to build up a collection of Star Wars weeklies. Right. There is a place online. I, I I cannot remember off the top of my head what the web address is, but there is a place online where you can download. I don't know about the legality of it. I'll be completely honest. Um, but there is a place that you can digitally download scans of the old Star Wars weekly uh, comics. And 
I think I've got them all. I'm not sure. You know, digitally, I mean, not not as actual hard copies. But I'm telling you, there's something about that black and white format, format with this awesome. art. It's oh, it's beautiful. And and well, the the thing they do with them too, though, is it, it because it's black and white. They use you know a toner. Right. They yeah. use like zipatone and stuff like that. Yeah. So it makes the art take on kind of a different character. It is. It's really really what, nice. What issue of Marvel Star Wars was or Star Wars Weekly Six, was it? Sixty eight. Okay, I just pulled out through 60. Let me try that again. <laughs> I forget who the inker is on that. I should have made a note on that. I don't remember who inked it. Um, but, of course, the one that they're using here for, for 108 is uh, is recolored. I believe it's re-inked as well, and it's it's just it's enhanced. It so looks it does like look a it, it had a digital pass taken over it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, now, another one of the uh, variant covers um, was the Walt Simonson cover. Now, I, this is the other one that I got. So I got two. I got the Infantino and the Simonson. Did either of you guys get the Simonson one? Now, Chris, I, I know you said you were yet. going to get it. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm going to I'm gonna pick it up. Yeah, I got it. Cool. I got the Simonson one. And I do have Marvel Star Wars Weekly number 68. Oh, cool. I'm looking at it right here. It's I'll beautiful, isn't a snap it? Of it? Yeah, it is the same uh, basic piece of what it looks like is it looks like Infantino uh, it looks like a con sketch, really. It's yeah. what it kind of looks like. I mean, and I don't yeah. say that in any derogatory way at all. Uh, but, you know, there's kind of a lack of attention to the coloring and that kind of thing because it is, you know, it's a, it's cheaper printing and that kind of thing. Well, uh, most of the like covers it. that were done, most of the covers, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to walk over you. No, most no. of the, um, the, at least the Infant, Infantino covers that were done exclusively for the Marvel UK run have kind of a rushed, hurried mm -hmm. look to them, you know, kind of a sketchy look to them. And it's funny yep. because I have now seen multiple variations of women's clothing that has uh, one of the Infantino covers. It's it's the one where Vader and the, and the snow troopers are coming into Hoth base, into Echo base. I don't know if you know the cover I mean. It was never released here in the U.S. It's strictly a Marvel UK cover, but I've seen that on, on T-shirts and sweatshirts and everything, and uh, it's really funny that they're choosing to use that particular piece of artwork because it's – I don't want to say it's it's not up to snuff, but again, it has that kind of sketch quality to it, like like yeah. a whole yeah. production. So it's it's really odd that they would use that particular piece of artwork. Yeah, and that's kind of what this, this has to it, but I like the vibe. Right. But yeah, I've got now, it right here. I'll, the... I'll send you guys a shot. The Simonson cover. Now it occurs to me I didn't describe the um, I didn't describe the Infantino cover. You, since you have it there in front of you, can you kind of paint a picture of it for the for the listeners? Yeah, it's got uh, to the left of the cover. It's got a picture of Valance the Hunter with half of his face off and a glowing eye, and he's got his left hand up like I'll get you kids and your little dog too. And then <laughs> to the right, it's a full body shot of Vader standing legs wide astride and uh he's got a saber up in the air and then between vader's legs i don't know if this is symbolic a city rising up into the sunrise uh and then you know the sun's radiation shooting all over them from the sun from the city or or from vader's legs i don't know which now we did an episode i, I couldn't quote you the the rhyme and verse of what episode it was we did an episode ages ago of back to the bins 
and someone brought Star Wars number 20, is it 29, the one that where they have their final confrontation? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was probably me. And it, it may have been. And I, uh, I remember uh, our buddy Paul Spataro just really ripped up Infantino's art uh, uh, you know, when it comes to Vader. But, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I love Infantino's Vader. I really do. Here's the thing about Infantino. You're not going to get photorealism, but what you're going to get is dynamic storytelling. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, yeah. It, a couple of years ago, I was reading the uh, the DC, you know, they did the Showcase Presents reprints, the big phone book reprints. And I was reading his Trial of the Flash stuff. And, you know, they'd have these reporters standing on the sidewalk with these microphones, and the microphones were so bizarrely designed it was like nobody will sit in a in a laboratory and go now let's make a design that let's make a frequency that's got five hinges here and then it swoops over and th this is going to be the most practical way really to build this is to make it kind of into a y but yet it it rotates and then it flips over here you know it just, it, some of his stuff is just bizarre but the storytelling itself is and and you know the atmosphere building and all of that I love it. I, you know, when I was a kid, I'd go, I hate this because nobody looks like they do in the movie. But as I grew older, I realized that he's telling great stories. Yeah. And, you know, his, mm -hmm. his, his pen strokes told great stories in the comic book medium. I, I love his work. I love it to death. I, I do too. I also think he leaned in to the sort of um, samurai look of Darth Vader. Yeah. Where, yeah, which is so. where he came from, but he yeah. sort of like leaned into it more. So stylistically, he sort of got it. He got the design of Vader. Mm -hmm. It just was it, he's he's he he's a artist with his own style, and it, and it's very like European Italian comics yep. looking. Where there it's yeah. I I I, like I always it. just like to make fun of his mouth, though. <laughs> 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 But like, like his That'd Vader be, never uh, bothered me. Sometimes his stormtroopers got a little crazy, but you know, I what can I say? <laughs> yeah, but again, you're telling stories. You're not going for photorealism. Yeah. Now, you know, Al Williamson can kind of do both, and that's his style, and that's great. But uh, I, I love the way these stories are told, and it and it really has kind of to me a pulpy '30s yes serial oh. cliffhanger type vibe to it. I think there's more movement in an Infantino drawn Star Wars comic than an Al Williamson. An sure. Al Williamson one is almost reads more like a photo novel to me. There's a, a lot, lot of photo reference in Al, yes, Al Williamson. Yes. Definitely. And and yeah. uh, it, it, like a photo novel mixed with an old Flash Gordon like yeah. Sunday newspaper cartoon. Yeah, yeah cuz suddenly you're on this planet that you know what it looks like in the film and all of a sudden it's got all these purple plants and uh, giant flowers and yeah, it's, it's yes. very odd. Yes, and uh, definitely, yeah. And 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 Infantino like set and set a mood. You know, he would mm -hmm. set set the mood of wherever he had a, that he had. He kept, you know, it was kind of gritty, which fits yeah. in really good with Star Wars too. Yeah, so, yeah. That's why so, I picked the Infantino issue. Is like. If if I end up with just one hard copy of it, I like the one that fits the best into my collection. I think is the Infantino cover, even though Walt Simonson still alive d doing a new cover is also a great thing for me too. I love Walt Simonson. He was probably my favorite run of 
artists on like if I would have picked someone to go beginning to end, it probably would have been Walt Simonson in my dream run. But hmm. but I think Infantino is the one who like carried the weight for uh, uh, the the heaviest weight, maybe not for the longest time. But I don't know. I don't know how the issues break down. But he was the one there in the beginning where they were on really uncharted ground visually yeah. and story-wise. Oh, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I can't remember if we did that when we did our summation of the series, whether we broke it down by, like, who did the most issues. I mean, obviously, Tom Palmer did you know, worked on the most issues yes. as the inker, but as far as the primary artist, I don't think we ever did tally that up. I, I don't think it would be Infantino, but I... I yeah, that's something that'd be interesting to go back and, and I, tally it up and figure I, it out. I think he might be. You I'll think so? Look at that. Well, he took over at 11. Right. He yeah, it, it could there. be. So it, it would be 11 through through 37, and then a couple post, post-Empire um, issues yeah. as well. Yeah, so but it, you got to take out 16 and 17. Right. So he didn't do those. And then, yeah, 37... So while you, while you figure that out, I'm going to continue on here. Yeah. So he we're did, still on covers. Um, so on the Simonson cover, now the Infantino cover and the Simonson cover, had they had variants themselves. So there were two uh, variants of those covers, one with all the logos and then one that's just the artwork. So there's four covers right there. Um, on the Simonson cover... Uh, you've got Valance again, uh, and Darth Vader are featured prominently on the cover. This time they're actually fighting each other. So you've got Valance down in a crouch firing one of his weapons and his outfit is, uh, totally the outfit that he wore in his very first appearance. So it's, it's yeah. kind of a retro Valance. And then you've got Vader standing over him and he's in kind of a weird position because rather than holding his lightsaber, to where the you know he's holding the hilt and the blade is going up. In this case, he's holding the hilt and the blade is going down. So it's like he's thrusting down, like to stab something on the ground or something. It's really kind of an odd angle, and he's deflecting uh, Valance's blaster bolt. It's a dynamic cover. I got to be honest, I'm not terribly crazy about it though. Um, it really showcases the kind of snowsuit look of Vader's outfit. <laughs> Which well, I was never really crazy about. What oh, do you guys yeah. think? Um, I I thought it could have benefited from Tom Palmer's touch. Yes. I think it yeah. was a little too yeah. Simonson. And Simonson, you know, I enjoy, in fact, I'm rereading Simonson's Thor run right now. But he's kind of prone to some sloppy lines here and there, which which works in in a lot of contexts. But in this, because we're so used to seeing his work inked over by Tom Palmer... Uh, I, I feel like it would have been a better piece had Tom Palmer gotten a crack at it. I'll, I'll agree with that. I do like Vader's helmet, though. I, I like mm-hmm. Basically, I like his helmet and I like his torso. Everything looks good there. It's just kind of his body positioning. And then again, Vader's suit, if, if it's not illustrated or sometimes even photographed in, in just the proper light, it has this weird padding to it that looks like a cross between like like uh like the bomb squad and a snowsuit you know what i mean it's, it's like it looks like heavily insulated type of thing yes. it's, it's kind of funny you know it's puffy looking and I, there's something about the lighting here that plays that up 
And I, I never really, I always like Vader looking very sleek. Uh, and here he looks, he looks very <laughs> kind of puffy. So I don't know. It just looks a little funny to me. A lot of this, a lot of this, I think this would have looked a lot different if it uh, didn't have the modern techniques of how they do comic art now. Like, I'm wondering if this was actually done on paper or if Walt Simonson was doing it on a big, giant video pad. Yeah, I'm sure and it's, and it's different. You don't have you don't have to have an inker then. You're inking it as right when you're doing it and erasing right. it if you don't like it or whatever. But and and, you know, with the with the really like airbrushed looking fades and stuff, I, I think it would have been more striking and retro if they had foregone all that and done it just like so even if it just looked like pen and ink and i think like all the, the way the way they shade stuff nowadays it, it does it makes his legs look puffier it, it makes them a little more realistic looking but that's not really i don't think what i'm after in my comic book art all the time mm-hmm. you know so right. so I, I like the overall design of it. I think it could have looked more like a, a retro Star Wars cover if they'd done it a little differently. But yeah, that's that's where the lowered expectation came in. I said to myself, <laughs> they're gonna, you know, there's gonna be a lot of splash pages and stuff. And in a lot of ways, I was I was proven right and wrong. And it was, but yeah. By the way, taking Tom Palmer out of the mix because he played so much of a part in so many of these issues. Infantino had more issues than anybody at 30. Did he really? Okay. Then behind him is Simonson at 15. By the way, crossover, if you remember, uh, when they took and repurposed that John Carter story for that two-parter, it was drawn by Infantino, but (laughs) Simonson had to draw the the other stuff. That's right. The the framing stuff. So they both are credited on that one. Uh, So I wonder who's third. Oh, she's third? Cynthia Martin's 12. Third with twelve, and Williamson is is uh, has got eight because of the Empire adaptation. Oh. How many did Friends have? Did I that's what I was going to say. I thought uh, Friends would be a lot higher on the. Let me, uh, let me look on front. I don't. I honestly didn't didn't count Ron. For should I count? I guess I should count the annual he drew by himself. I'll look at the Friends stuff because I didn't count Friends. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I what I like absolutely the best about this Simonson cover, honestly, is right under his uh, very distinctive signature, which is a dinosaur. Uh, for those that didn't know, uh, he's si- he's signed it, he's dated it, and then underneath he has written for Archie, and I really like that touch. Yeah, now, yeah. Archie uh, refers to his friend Archie Goodwin. Uh, so after the departure of the series originator and first writer Roy Thomas. Archie Goodwin uh, wrote nearly every issue of the series set between the first film, uh, starting with issue 11, and The Empire Strikes Back. He wrote the first post-The Empire Strikes Back story and a handful of tales after that, including The Crimson Forever in the supersized 50th issue, uh, of which this issue, 108, is a sequel of sorts to that story. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, incidentally, the artist on that issue was uh, who you were just talking about, Al Williamson, uh, who Goodwin had worked with on the Star Wars newspaper strip, and they also worked together on issue uh, 98 of this series as well. Um, But back to Walt Simonson, he and Goodwin together created the character of Valance the Hunter, uh, who's, again, Mm -hmm. showcased in this issue. They created him in Star Wars 
number 16, Marvel Star Wars number 16. Yep. And again, that's the look that uh, Simonson has brought back here uh, on this uh, cover that he did. They also worked together on Marvel Comics adaptations of Ridley Scott's Alien and Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, among other projects that they did together. Uh, Goodwin was often referred to as the best-loved comic book editor ever, and Jim Shooter, who succeeded him after Goodwin's brief stint as Marvel's editor-in-chief, said, uh, everyone loved Archie. Archie uh, had a manner about him that you just couldn't, uh, couldn't not like him. While he was tough as nails, and he was probably uh, and he was probably the best that passed through the business, uh, he managed to do it without offending anyone. He managed to be respected and remain friends with everyone and do his job. And that's from Jim Shooter. And I, I think that's pretty high praise. Um, sadly, Archie Goodwin died in New York City on March 1st, 1998, after a lengthy bout with cancer. And he was only 60 years old, which... I didn't realize that. I thought he was a lot older. That's that's just sad. And uh, yeah, he was. Wow, he was only he was on. Well, okay, that yeah. was in 1996. Never mind. Yeah, but he was older. Than, I was gonna say he was only 10 years older than us. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, he uh, he was a hell of a writer, and uh, and I really I, I don't think I've ever read an Archie Goodwin story that I I didn't like or at least you know appreciate on on some level and. You know, really taking a, a hard look at that and, and realizing he came on with with issue 11 and the body of work that he did. I mean, he's probably the number one guy responsible for my love of this stuff. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. beyond mm -hmm. the art. Uh, I mean, he's he's the guy, you know, he mm -hmm. created the the you know, I mean, he really set the foundation of the EU. And uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I well, I think it's neat that he's he's mentioned here by his friend. He was a guy who got it, and right. not everybody did. Everybody, you know, a lot of people thought, well, spaceships, weird-looking guys, we'll just put them through some some kind of a standard sci-fi trope paces. But just in in fact, the balance story that he told between issues twenty-seven and twenty-nine really showed how much he got the internal world of Star Wars. He takes this yes. one throwaway line, you're droids, we don't want them here, you know, we don't serve their kind here, and really spins that into, I mean, that's really the foundation of that whole Valance story, really, when you think about it. And, um, and that and that stuff about, the, the they really, like, a lot of this stuff really got, um, when they did the prequels, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you go, well, okay, I see why droids might, people might have biases against droids. Sure. But what they did with it in, they, they went into it much more depth in the comics and it all, it all fits. It still fits perfectly. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. They did That's... a lot of, they did a, we were, I, you know, I, I'd have to go back over the issues, but we had a long list of stuff that was just sort of, little story elements or asides in the original star Wars comics that we never really paid attention to when we were kids mm. that, that resonated into the, you know, into the prequels and into the new you yeah. know, TV shows and stuff like that to where, you know, we were suspicious of like, I wonder if they're mining some of this stuff, you know, for, for some of it. Yep. Oh, by the way, throwing the annuals into it, Infantino's up to 31, and uh, Ron Friends is at 13. Okay. Huh. So. Cool. Yeah. 
real quick, other covers. Uh, there was one by Michael Golden. I don't know if you guys saw this one. I have to be honest. I, I didn't care for it. I really didn't. Uh, now, I didn't even see it on the stands where I bought my issue. Uh, so I, I'm led to believe that there were certain variant covers that were very expensive. Maybe this was one of them. I really don't know. Um, but, you know, for a guy that that drew, you know, arguably the prettiest issue of the whole, you know, the whole original 107 issue run, mm -hmm. I didn't think much of this cover. Um there's another one by John Tyler Christopher, uh, who's a name I'm just not familiar with at all. It, it was okay. And then lastly, there was a blank cover, which is one of those ones where you take it to a convention and they, you know, somebody does a Ooh, sketch on it or something like that. Yeah. I might so have to get one of those well. to Mark Comeback. Oh, let me tell you guys, uh, just a little plug for Mark Comeback. Anybody, if uh, you might want to talk to Mark Comeback, but if you negotiate a good price, he will uh, do up a cover of a comic for you beautifully. Let me. I've got. I've got two right now. I've got a, a Howard the Duck number one and uh, and uh, Mad Max one and the the from Fury Road. <laughs> and Mad, the Mad Max one is probably one of the more epic things I have in my comic collection. It's beautiful. It's me on the giant truck full of speakers but instead of a flame-throwing guitar i got a flame-throwing banjo and nice. the lord hum and the lord humongous is standing in the foreground holding up a lighter excellent all in in the the most microscopic mark comeback detail it's one of my yes. favorite things in in my entire collection <laughs> that is awesome so at this point, I think we're ready to jump into the synopsis proper. So what we did was we each got a homework assignment handed to us by uh, Mr. Honeywell, and we have, have not compared notes. So what we're doing is uh, each one of us is going to take a different chapter of the story. Now, the story overall is not that long anyway, but it's broken up into what, like eight chapters? Yeah. We have not looked at each other's uh, synopses or notes or anything. So this should be interesting. This should be entertaining. How, yes. this, how this plays out. So uh, yeah. I don't know who has the first uh, chapter, but uh, that's me. OK. OK. The first one. Chapter one is Legend of Valance the Hunter. And uh, it's by now they don't they don't designate who did what, but it's a and I'm not up on these artists, but it's a Giuseppe. Kamuncoli, Cam Smith, and Andrea Bricardo. Bricardo are the, are the now, people who worked on part one. I'm sorry to interrupt. R real quick before we get into this, one thing that I noticed, and I thought this was really odd. So uh, on the inside front cover, or the, uh, the first page, essentially, you get a quick recap of, you know, long ago in a galaxy far, far away and all that. The, the story over of the overall issue is Forever Crimson which again is a take on the original uh, Crimson yes. Forever. Yeah. Um, now notice it is so detailed on the credits for this thing. You've got each chapter gives uh, artist credits. You've got the color artist credits, letter, all these different credits. What's the one credit they forgot? Writer. The writer. Mm -hmm. The writer is not credited for this issue. It's Matthew nope. Rosenberg is who it is. I had to look it up. Did he write the whole episode or the whole yeah, issue? He did. He wrote the whole issue. Yeah, but they don't. They don't credit him. I was gonna say it felt very. It felt very consistent in the writing. So that makes sense. All right, chapter one. <clears throat> 
Now picture an old Chris sitting around the campfire looking at the little kids. Meanwhile, back in the real Star Wars Marvel comics, we are brought back up to speed on, <clears throat> on the history of balance. Once a steely-eyed Nick Fury-looking bounty hunter who had so much of his body blown off that he became more of a machine than man. Hmm. Comic book psychology then dictates that he become a droid-killing pariah trying to purge his own self-hatred. Luckily for Valance, he meets Luke Skywalker and C-3PO, who teach him that droids and humans can actually be really great pals. Yay! Valance is now finally happy in his own quote-unquote skin. He gets to be happy for about 10 minutes before he's tossed into a lava whirlpool by <laughs> Luke's dad, who is coming to ground Luke forever. Well, turns out this story is being told by a scrappy Twilight scrapper who is regaling his crew while they retrieve some metal for a, an unknown client. He tells them that they are at the very place where this tale happened and that Valance's ghost is said to still haunt Ruby Flame Lake. As they load the scrap aboard, we see a familiar-looking skull poking out of the tangled mass, telling us that maybe that Star Wars Terminator crossover is finally going to happen. End of part one. <laughs> Chapter two, titled Near Misses and Narrow Escapes. Uh, art by Carrie Gamble, or Gamil, I'm not sure which, and... Uh, this one's a weird one. Z or Zay? It's it's literally spelled Z E. So I don't know if it's Z or Zay or what. Uh, Carlos is uh, are the two artists that are credited. On the planet Stenos, Han Solo and Chewbacca the Wookiee are speaking to a weird green alien named Slider. Poor guy's named after a tiny hamburger. little hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason they call them sliders, by the way. A weird green alien named Slider who is keeping a blaster trained on them under the table. Slider is untrusting of the pair whom he has unwittingly hired, sight unseen, to smuggle what looks for all the world like a purple jalapeno pepper. He claims that the whole galaxy may be in danger if it isn't delivered to his boss. Han and Chewie accept the assignment and the trio stand to leave when a bounty hunter pair approaches them and demands to know where Slider is off to. Han tries to intervene, but only succeeds in drawing the bounty hunter's attention to the fact that he has a bigger price on his head than the guy that they came for. Chewie then lays into them and all hell breaks loose. Now having drawn the attention of an entire band of bounty hunters, Han, Chewie, and Slider make a break for it, hoping to lose their pursuers, but Slider is shot in the back and vaporized. Suddenly out of a job, the pair are now intent on simple escape, and call it even when an oversized white foot, a white booted foot catches Solo in the chin and sends, sends him sprawling. As Han recovers and draws his own uh, draws down on the attacker, he is stunned to discover that uh, he is in a standoff with his old Aduba three compatriots, Amaza and Jackson the Rabbit. Seems they are here for uh, the bounty on Slider too. Still pursued by the angry mob, the pair join Han and Chewie in fleeing the scene. Which I guess brings us to chapter three. <laughs> A scavenger's mistake with art by Andrea Bracardo. Uh, the scavengers who pulled up that metal from Ruby Flame Lake are now delivering it to their clients who have uh, solicited that they buy it and clean it up and bring it. Turns out they didn't clean it up because... 
they were in a little bit of a hurry. Uh, the question arises as to whether or not their clients are trustworthy, but hey, their ship is adorned with the seal of the New Republic. What could possibly go wrong? Upon examining the filthy merchandise, one of the uh, clients radios to the big boss and says, Mistress, it looks like it'll be enough. And, uh, well, Mistress says, I don't have any interest in what it looks like, Commander. Let me know when you're sure. And none of this will be traceable back to me. Hmm. So when you hear New Republic and you hear Mistress, you think Leia, but Leia is essentially ordering the kill orders for these people. So it's plainly not Leia. Who is it? And uh, what happens next? Well, that's for Chapter 4. Wow, man. I didn't know I gave you such a short chapter. Holy that's cow. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> that Made chapter. my life easier. <laughs> all right. Now we're on to Chapter 4. Old, old worries in the New Republic. And um, artist on this one is uh, Jan Dersima, but I'm, judging by the two U's, it might be Jan Dersima. No, it's, no, it's Jan. Jan. It's Jan. Jan? I've met her. Yeah. Jan Dersima right. is how she says it. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on Arbor, Princess Leia is catching up some Zeltron Chippendales dancers on the situation between the Mandalorians and the Nagai in dealing with the, the Toph threat. I forgot about the Toph. They always forget about the Toph. She is interrupted when a cliff-top assassin takes a space pot shot at her, and uh, she blasts him off the cliff, and uh, the rocks tumble under him, and he falls 500 feet and is knocked out cold. Leia just sensed the assassin. She has him taken to a holding cell when our little fuzzy friend and shag favorite, Pliff, Tells her the Falcon is about to crash land on her private landing pad. Hey, Shag, I bet you wish you were reading this part. <laughs> I told you I'd get you, Shag. This is also a euphemism you could use. Oh, wait, let me start this again because I was setting up a joke and then got <laughs> sidelined by Shag and he's not even here doing what he did living in my head. Cliff tells her the Falcon is about to crash land on her private landing pad. This is also a euphemism you could use for her and Han having sex. <laughs> the Falcon has no engines and is about to crash when suddenly it floats safely to the ground. It's Black Suit Luke. He's used the force to save his pal Han and then little, and little Kylo Ren, who is still being snuggled around in his dad's space sack. Oh, I'm sorry, still being <laughs> smuggled around in his dad's space sack. Well, snuggled too. Han, <laughs> Chewie, Jackson, and Amaza tell Luke and Leia about that Domina Tag is up to no good. Really? 3PO tells Leia that she sent Donnie to do some story element work in the very system where Domina Tag was exiled to, and Donnie is late reporting back. But it probably has nothing to do with anything, so don't worry about it. End of part four. <laughs> Chapter five. For Fear of What Might Wake, art by Andrea Bracardo. So in deep space, the fake New Republic, New Republic crew is en route and in communication with their boss, Domina Tag. While speaking uh, with her holographic image, they are suddenly attacked by a metallic humanoid who throttles one of them and snaps his neck. Elsewhere on her ship, Domina Tag puzzles about the sudden interruption in the transmission. Her minions are not able to raise the other ship again. 
Frustrated with what she perceives as the incompetence of her lackeys, she is forced to improvise now that whatever her plans for the Durasteel and Space Jalapeno were uh, have been scuttled. Man, I didn't. That's a piss poor, <laughs> poorly written sentence. <laughs> Back on the other ship, the metal humanoid wades Terminator style through the crew members, uh, easily dispatching them despite their desperate attempts to fight back. Along the way, the metal humanoid, whom we learn is not a droid, befriends an RA7 protocol droid, better known by its action figure name of Death Star Droid, <laughs> named FR-D8T-KA, which I don't know what the hell that's supposed it's to be. It's gotta mean something, yeah. yeah. It's a freak. <laughs> something. Uh, it is from this droid that the metal humanoid, who is actually none other than the infamous Valance the Hunter, learns that he did, in fact, not die, but was pulled from the corrosive waters of Ruby, Fr Ruby Flame Lake on Centaurus and restored to life by being run through some sort of chemical, quote-unquote, scrubber. The droid supposes that Valance's systems put him into stasis when the lake's deadly toxins were detected and his metal body protected his only remaining organic component, his human brain. Mm. Yes. More, mm. much, much more on this later, mm. believe me. Mm. Anyway, FR-D, who we're just going to call Fred. Uh, Brady. Bring, <laughs> Fred, <laughs> brings Valance up to speed on galactic goings-on since he went into the drink, i.e. the Emperor's dead and that sort of thing. Uh, and after some discussion of the life jewels from the original Crimson Forever storyline, even manages to instill in Valance a renewed sense of hope and purpose, the quest for a restored human body. Now that's some helpful droid. Sounds Moving. like my quest. What is your quest? <laughs> for a healthy human body. Oh. That's a human body, <laughs> a restored sakes. human body. <laughs> Chapter 6, On the Way to Forever, with art by Stefano Landini. Everybody's in the cockpit of the Falcon. It's got more seats than the Galaxy's Edge version, apparently. <laughs> with Jackson, Amaza, I think that's Luke's head peeking out over the top. Solo, Leia, Chewie, they're all sitting in that not-that-big cockpit of the Falcon, zipping through hyperspace. As they're sucked out of hyperspace, they're brought into the presence of a destroyed, decrepit Star Destroyer, which for half a second you go, Crimson Jack? But yet, no. Yes. It, yes. <laughs> it is, yep, in fact, too. the Star Destroyer from the original Crimson Forever storyline, which is good because they've been made aware that there is an issue regarding those jewels. However, as they figure it out, they are opened fire upon by the emerging Dominataggy ship from the House of Taggy, and uh, they claim to have claimed the wreckage of the Star Destroyer under international or interstellar law, I guess is the case. 3PO <laughs> tries to give them the odds of survival as they're zipping around the Star Destroyer, at which point they also tell him to shut up because they've heard enough of his crap for the last 20 years. Uh, and that's uh, that's about it. They're trying to hide from uh, Domina as they flee under the underbelly of the Star Destroyer. That's it for my chapter. The second shortest chapter in the book. Yeah, I did not do that on purpose <laughs> with my assignments. Or I, I was like, these glory I, hounds. I should have. I I just picked the numbers. I should have. I really. I could have. Nah, I could have gotten them for myself. 
Hey, it's you guys' hey, Scott, world. Scott, I'll trade you. Right, well, yeah, it's a little late now. Uh, what your mom sends you, peanut butter and jelly. Um, but, you know, the way I look at it, it's you guys' world. I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut. So, ooh. Aww. Okay, so let's stay away from uh, sexual innuendo and go back to the chapter name. <laughs> Snatched away from the sun <laughs> by Luke Ross, our friend of Ross. Hey, it took a couple seconds for that one to sink in. You guys are getting old on your game. Uh, we took it your word. What the hell's wrong with us? <laughs> I know. What, what, it's been a while. You guys got to get back up to speed. That's the first rule of Honeywell right there. It's true. Yeah. The first Honeywell rule, lies. The first rule of Honeywell is don't look at him directly in the face. <laughs> no flash photography. No right. flash pictures, please. <laughs> Snatched away from the sun. Luke, Jackson, Leia, and R2 take the take a falcon escape pod into the wrecked and corpse-filled star destroyer keeping their spacesuits on so not to breathe in no crimson forever bugs they find up a be- they find a beat up tie bomber that they decide will be their escape vehicle and then as they head off to find the crystals domina tag and her thugs arrive and chase our group into a bridge span Luke seals a door behind them, but Tag's men manage to toss a thermal detonator under the door at the last minute, which blows apart the bridge in front of them, leaving an endless chasm. Well, a Star Destroyer-length chasm, anyway. Meanwhile, Jackson finds the jewels in a conveniently placed closet. Domino and her men burst in the door, and Luke decides to hold them off while Jackson does a bunny hop across the span. Jackson makes the leap... But instead of putting a pipe down for his pals to cross, he decides to bugger off, Sapito style. Luke uses a force to float the pipe across the void, and, they, and that's also a uh, euphemism for Luke Skywalker having sex. And they go after the green <laughs> bastard just in time to see him stealing their TIE bomber escape ship. Han radios down with the bad news that they have even more company. And end of part seven. Chapter 8, and the final chapter, it Wrap is entitled it <laughs> The End of the Hunt, Art by Leonard Kirk. The TIE bomber is suddenly rammed by the stolen New Republic cruiser that I'd frankly forgotten all about, and sent crashing back to the hangar deck in a fiery mess. Valance, looking more like he just walked right out of the pages of Dark Horse Comics' original 1990 Terminator miniseries than anything else, emerges from the ship just in time to return fire on Domina and her band just as they catch up to our heroes. Luke, after a moment, recognizes the still somewhat disoriented Valance and talks him down from killing Jackson. They share a brief exchange that I suppose was intended to be kind of touching, and it almost is, but Valance's statement of, I died for you, Luke Skywalker, without Luke having any context to go by as to what the hell he's talking about, just comes off as awkward and not a little creepy. A little creepy, yeah. Anyway, Valance says he's come for the jewels in hopes of restoring his lost humanity. Jackson, I'll remind you, was a Uh, abandoning everyone else to presumably die in an attempt to abscond with the jewels just mere minutes ago, suddenly 
just hands him right over with a, they're all yours, buddy. So I thought that was very inconsistent in this character. Anyway, jewels in hand, Valance begins to undergo a transformation that I'm not sure how or why any of this shit works, but uh, as Luke tries to warn him of the dangers of tampering with powers they don't understand. In mid-transformation, Valance is suddenly struck from behind and collapses on the deck, shot in the back by Domina Tag. Is it Tag or Taggy? Because you've been saying Taggy. Am I pronouncing it wrong? I don't know that there's ever been a clear definition, pronunciation guide ever distributed on that. So I I think Uh, I'm going to up in the air. You've always said Tag, so we've got to stay consistent with our own continuity. (laughs) Well, if you're you're French, then that's a given. Right. <laughs> Outside, but Star Warsian pronunciations, you know how it goes. I mean, I'm for crying out loud, if, for uh, crying out loud, George Lucas says Han Solo, okay? Well, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you I'm know. I'm trying to remember if the if the Star Wars and character crew has ever covered uh, Tag from the original Star Wars, and I can't remember if they have or not. I should know this because I'm, I'm a religious listener to that show, but I can't remember if they've covered that character or not. I'll have to reach out to Matt and see what he says. Anyway, uh, shot in the back by Tom and attack. So she turns on Luke and swearing vengeance for her family fires at the young Jedi. The ball is deflected off Luke's saber, but shatters his helmet exposed, uh, exposed. Luke is susceptible to the effects of the jewels. If they become separated, Domina raises one of them and hurls it as Leia tackles her, but the princess is too late. The jewel penetrates the hangar bay force field and is lost in open space, uh, now separated uh, from its companion stone. As Domina taunts Leia about joining her brother in the Crimson Forever, more on that later... Hmm. Fred, the Death Star droid, sacrifices himself to jumpstart Valance's failing battery and save his life. Renewed, the hunter stops Domina just as uh, she's about to end the princess. He snatches the remaining jewel from her and tosses the villainess aside. Sensing what Valance is up to, Luke pleads with him to wait, but the cyborg replies, You saved me once, Skywalker. Now it's my turn more on that later <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of more on this laters in this yeah that doesn't quite add up but okay. <laughs> luke calls to han on the falcon to rescue rescue valance uh but it's too late caught in the sun's gravi- uh, gravitic pull and clutching both of the life jewels valance dies again this time as a complete and restored human being this time with a smile on his face you're so happy. The end. So, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I have a list a mile long of notes on this issue. So if someone else wants to run, <laughs> feel free. Most of my notes are just, gen- I only have two like super specific notes. And one I just added when you said that we're talking about the jalapeno pepper. It's actually a jalapeno pepper with incredible Hulk hair. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I'm going to call Luke Luke the Valance Whisperer from now on. Because right. he, he just has that s- something special with... Um, my my general take on this, I'm going to work off a lot of, lot of your not, notes, but my general take on this is 
it succeeded in capturing the spirit of the of the originals uh but the wonk in it is it, there's wonk in it but it's the same kind of wonk that we ran into in in there's there's a couple of things that don't quite match up but the 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 weirdness um i i i like now i i don't know for sure but i have a feeling you're maybe not the the biggest proponent of bringing valens back to life and uh i i wasn't either but i thought to myself they probably would have done it in the original star wars though you know they would have been like oh uh, you know if um if they thought valens was that popular of a character or you know or, or we're doing something like this so I don't it know. I'd, I'd have to argue to me. that because I mean they yeah. had almost eighty issues yeah. to bring him yes. back and didn't do yeah. it. That's 70, true. Seventy-eight issues after he was toast, they they right. never brought him back. Um, I don't think the demand to bring him back happened till after we we were all adults <laughs> and people looked back on it. You know. No, I I, I wrote into to Marvel Star Wars. <laughs> now, granted, it was it was toward the end of the series and it never got published, but that was one of the things I can distinctly remember putting into my letter that I sent them was please bring back. Valance the cyborg, which I guess makes me a complete hypocrite. Well, I was just gonna say, I wait a minute, like that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I guess be careful what you ask for, man. Well, here's, so here's this is my, your fault. No, no. Here's my thing on this. I don't mind that they brought him back. I can't stand how they brought him back. Mm, mm-hmm. um, yeah. The first, the first rule of of Valance to me is that he is half robot. Yes. And half human yes we never see anything more than the right side of him or the left side of him excuse me uh in in cyborg form and it's always been my understanding that the rest of him was human so you go to ruby flame lake which is not which is not lava by the way but but corrosive um to me the human side of him is gone if you're going to rescue him from down there that's all well and good but you can't pull a full cyborg skeleton out of there. You can't. Mm, and there's no yeah. full cyborg skull to be had, in my opinion, because I think it is half. It's grafted on to his human body. The 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 right. the, the, the metallic elements in the lake leached into his human skin, <laughs> making him into created. a perfect Terminator-looking <laughs> well, creature. I, I tell you, here here's the note that I uh, that I had for this one because I completely agree with you. My my note on this is just Valance is not Metallo or no. Robot Man. He's no, just or not. The and that's how they're yeah, and that's yeah. how they're portraying him here is that he's essentially a Terminator with a human brain. No, he's not. If no. anything, if you're gonna do other comic book comparisons, if anything. He's Therok from the Fatal Five, which was enemies of the Legion of Superhero. Who Therok's whole thing was he was literally one side of his body was all human or whatever alien species he was, and the other half of his body was all Terminator. Yes. And that's what Valance was. We saw that in every appearance of the character. So suddenly, you know, yeah, I'm not crazy about them bringing him back, but I, I, I would probably stomach a little better if he was, you know, if they better, weren't rewriting history here, but yeah. they're they're retconning him to be something that he never was, and I, I really yes. didn't like that. When so they I got said, to thinking, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. When they said his ghost still haunts this, my thoughts immediately went to like something like, right after Vader knocked him in the lake, some robot like some you know robot that 
what maybe a scavenger robot or something pulled him out and was like, oh, I must, you know, and did a V'ger on him and like was like, I'm going to fix him. And then like took him and maybe made him into a full robot and dumped his brain into it or something. And he still wandered around there. And that was what people thought was the ghost of him. Well, that's that's better than what we got. As far as the I was origin goes, trying to think right, of, which is just they pulled yeah. him out of the they, oh yeah. we pulled him out of the lake, <laughs> yeah, right. And, 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 and by the way, we, he's hundred percent metal. When we washed metal. him off, he turned back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was trying to think of ways that you you could bring him if they were intent to do it. Then how could they do it that that it would make a little more sense in that you know that I could buy it essentially. And I was thinking, you know, what if they had it where you know, it's just now his human side is gone, but the cyborg side, there was enough of it to essentially reanimate and bring him back. And and I think that could potentially be interesting because then you've got Valance with no mitigating it, human emotion or, or anything. Now he is essentially a Terminator. And in fact, let me let me compound the argument here about Valance and his structure by going back to Star Wars number 16 and reading word for word, uh-huh. living with the fact that at the Telos 4 medical station, half his body was replaced by cybernetic parts. Yes. I yep. mean, it is, it is, it can be no more clearly spelled out than well, that, right that's there. That's the first thing I, that's the first thing I did after getting to the part of the story in this where you realize, wait, 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 they're playing him as if he's completely. You yeah. know, there's there's nothing but the human brain. So yeah. I went back. I did the same thing. I went back. I'm thinking because I got to thinking, am I remembering this wrong? Did I have some sort of misapprehension from childhood about this character? Maybe I've been wrong all these years. So I did nope. the same thing. And I went back. Not only did I reread the original appearances, but then I also went to Wikipedia. And Wikipedia confirms the same thing that we've always believed, that, you know, he's human on the right side and metal on the left. He's I mean, not a brain in a body. That's the no. that's the definition of cyborg, right? You know? yeah. Basically, that's that's why it, that's what differentiated him from robot or yep. human. <laughs> well, I, I think I feel like this is a good place because uh, spoiler, you know, or, or confession, I should say. Scott and I talked just a little bit about this the other day um, before getting together, and we didn't want to talk about it too much because no. we knew we wanted to talk. You know, we wanted to be fresh in this conversation. Yep. But you did blow my mind about something, Scott. Now, I had put in my notes here, you know, for someone who can, uh, who professes to love Marvel Star Wars and everything, and, and the interviews that I read, it, it seemed like Matthew Rosenberg didn't really have a good handle on this character. But you were quick to point out that he's not the guy that I'm thinking no. of. Nope. He was, you were thinking of the editor, uh, Mark right. Nietzsche. And he's the one who kind of guided Rosenberg through the books and said, boy, I sure do love this, this, and this. Why don't you give it a crack? Um, but Rosenberg himself is not the guy who was the fanboy. And I think things like that make it show. Um, while we're right. on Valance, can I ask you the question, was Tyler Lucian left out for a reason? Yeah, I was thinking about that because you, you posed the same question when we were talking the other day. And if, initially I thought he was just left out for expediency's sake. You know, in the in the recapping the story. However, mm. 
I don't know that that washes because Tyler Lucian and that whole thing gives Valance the motivation yeah. for why he's doing what he's doing. So That's without why he's him, standing up to Vader. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, other than maybe... They one just of the didn't want to have to explain I, that? To one the, of the things I really... Was it just they didn't want to have to explain that to a new audience? I, I hope it's that, other than... You know, one of the things that I appreciate about this story, and one of the things, frankly, I was bracing for in this story, was in, injection of new continuity into this continuity. And for the most part, except for... Off the top of my head, there's only one thing I caught where I felt like, whoops, that's that's a mistake. Um, I didn't feel like they did that, but I'm thinking that in you know in the new EU that is being written as we speak, maybe they didn't want to use Tyler Lucian in this because that's not going to be how Luke or excuse me how Vader found out about Luke or you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, but this is Legends. This has got a giant Legends yeah. banner on the top. It shouldn't matter. Well. Let's talk about that, because that was my very first note on this. Now, I know this is going to seem incredibly nitpicky, but that is my job. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> or at least that's what I'm here to do. Um, that was, frankly, probably, next to bringing Valance back, that was probably my biggest qualm with this issue, is that Legends banner right on the front. Legends, my ass. <laughs> this is Star Wars. This will always be Star Wars to me. This Marvel Star Wars run is the real Star Wars. And this stuff that they're churning out now, you know, call it what you want. But don't don't go back and label my Star Wars as something other than than what I feel like it should be. I, that really annoyed me, putting this Legends crap on here. Shouldn't it I say something like the world's greatest that? space fantasy or something like that? That's what it should say. Yeah. The top. Put the original one back on there. Absolutely. I think I think they do that for, I mean, they do it for branding purposes for everything because they want to make sure right. you don't pick it up and assume it's part of the new continuity. But I mean, every everything that they've issued, you know, every time they've reissued these these uh, books, and even if you go to Comicsology or Marvel Unlimited, all the old Marvel stuff now has a Legends banner across it somewhere. I know. It's I it's know. consistent. I'll give them that. But I'm with you. I you know one thing. I will just say this. This has become a thing with me over the last couple of years. I have learned if, if anything of the Marvel to Disney transition that I have learned, it is head canon is much more important than I ever thought it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much there's so much out there and there's so much that I didn't like, but I used to go, well, it's. It's canon, so I guess I'll like it anyway. But now I realize that they, you know, they threw everything I did like away. Uh, so yeah, I kind of reconstruct my own head cannon now. Yeah. I used to be. I think that's half the fun the of it. Type guy. Yeah. If that that's the the way I look at it, and and one of the reasons I probably never got into reading the Legends books, or or you know, never had the urge to check out the new ones, is. I like not knowing. I don't want to know the backstory of every character and stuff like that. Mm. I, I I like being able to just sort of fill in the blanks or have it be a little misty as to what's going on over here, over here. And then I also don't want to keep track of all it in my head. <laughs> and then and then like you said, I'm gonna have to if if I read through all those stuff, I'm gonna have to shift through sift through it and figure out 
all right, what do I like and what do I don't like? And, yeah. and, and get rid of it and stuff like that. So, like, the Splinter of the Mind's Eye was always as far as I sort of went in, <laughs> into that, which Splinter of the Mind's Eye, even to the Legends stuff, is sort of like this... this it, I always tie that right to the Marvel Star Wars of that, that early, and, you know, post-Star Wars stories. And funny enough, I was never a fan of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but I loved the solo novels by Brian Daly. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the the yeah. the um the Lando ones were good too. Yeah. yeah, well, except for using a toy as a reference on the cover, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that giant cockpit on the Millennium Falcon, all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like he, it's like he had a bed in there or something. Now all of a sudden. <laughs> now, well, do you are your are your notes laid out like sequentially, Scott? No, I don't. I don't. Or... I don't have notes. They're all in my head. Oh, this okay. Is, you know, look, yeah, I'm a yeah, professional. Let's... Let's just, we'll just do we'll just do your notes and we'll just uh, we'll right. just, uh cling right on to I've, them. I've I've got observations, but again, you know, yeah. I, I I quit taking notes for my show several years ago. I just do it. All right, so I'm I'm gonna just go through. We're we're just starting at the front of the book, and these are just you know, like you say, observations. But I wrote them down because I wouldn't remember Let's later. So. Let's do it. Um, so I talked about the the Legends banner. I'm just I'm not crazy about that. Uh, I do like the Legend of Valance recap for Chapter One though, because there's some nice and very subtle tweaks to continuity here. Uh, you know, given that we're, you know, now we know the, you know, quote unquote, the rest of the story with the prequels and everything, they very subtly just kind of tweak it because originally uh, Valance's story wouldn't exactly sync up now that we know, you know, the complete rest of the story and everything. So I like that, you know, it, it wasn't intrusive or anything. It was just, it was, it was nicely handled, I thought. And it's someone um, telling a story so they can play a little loose with it too. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, this guy, you know, this guy might have information that they didn't have in the comics or he might be getting it a little bit wrong or whatever, but I like it. It's just sort of like the legend of Valance. It is the legend. Yeah. of Valance. The only thing I don't dig is the the whole reason for him being at Ruby flame in the first place. And that's Tyler Lucian. He, where is he? Uh, I right. did like, I did like, you know, the, they they spent a little bit of time on that, that, final page of that recap kind of recreating some of those moments that uh that carmine infantino illustrated in number 29 so i thought that was neat yeah yeah i i like that where he's dead yeah, in the, I, in the I, lake and yeah in I fact think there was some low-key art tributes in here and this this first part definitely seemed to me to be the the biggest nod to infantino yeah, yeah. It, it well but there's also another nod to me there's a chicken nod in here in that mm -hmm. It's the return of splashy, squishy lightsaber blades. You know, the uh, the original adaptation of the right. film, lightsaber blades are just kind of all over the place. Right. And you get a little bit of that in uh, in this recap as well. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't I didn't really consciously noticed it, but uh, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, I, I know we've mentioned this before, you know, in, in you know when we were doing the show regularly and everything, but I just I feel it bears reiterating, you know, I still find it so remarkable what a big deal this guy always was to so many of us fans of this Marvel Star Wars material when you consider that he only had three actual appearances. Well, yeah, it's three. I three. think it was I think, I think we we were like this guy 
could actually be an ongoing character, you know? Yeah. Right. Like they had a hard time coming up with like ongoing characters that you'd really want to like fit into your Star Wars, your own headcanon Star Wars universe. Valance Hunter was definitely like he could have spun off into his own book as far as I was concerned in the Star Wars universe. It was like, here's somebody that would he's and he's different from he's not an amalgam of like three different other characters yes, from the yes. movies and stuff he's an original character he's not and Dash he works in this universe right yeah now and, and yeah. the other thing though is he went toe-to-toe with darth vader i mean yes. he messed darth vader up and uh, i mean who did that in the first film you know and again this people have to remember the era that we're talking about you and i lived in this era we still kind of live in this era where there is yeah. a star wars and somewhere way off on the horizons this empire strikes back that we know nothing about and right in the middle is right. this Marvel Star Wars that's bringing us Star Wars every month. Yep. And so for a guy to Absolutely. just go toe-to-toe with Vader, it's like, whoa, what? Yeah. And it was it was very poetic. You had the person, they were both half machine, and mm-hmm. one person's human side is, had, had just been activated, and the other side's, other one's human side had just been squashed. Yep, and you've got his, you've got yeah. that activation of that human side. You've got his conflict, as you mentioned earlier. I think Chris was, you know, he's got that self hatred there because we don't serve their kind here. You know, droids have a right. lower status in society. Uh, they are to be hated. They are to be treated as lesser, and yet he is both lesser and, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like the movie with Rosie Greer. <laughs> with the guy with the two heads. Incredible two headed <laughs> transplant. Exactly. <laughs> Except they don't ride a motorcycle. That, no, that's, that's kind true. Of disappointing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, you know I, I love that stuff obviously, and uh, I love that they the next chapter will we'll, I guess we could move on to. Uh, I love that they put set it on Stenos. Now maybe the victim yes. of small galaxy might be a victim of small galaxy syndrome, but I you know this this thing was supposed to be comfort food. This is supposed to be an issue where you pick up and are confronted with a ton of familiar things exactly yeah. no small galaxy syndrome would be if it was tattooing or something like that oh, thank i'll God give it. him this one because again this is for us this is when for was, the I was just Star Wars say, when was the last time we can't like it's only been a few years ago that we were we were on tattooing again in the yeah. prequels or or you know right. I, I almost i almost said you know, with uh, Force Awakens, but uh, that's Jakku. But yeah. um, but one thing I love about this in the background is one of the um, Cynthia Markin, Martin bug aliens drawn in her Hiromi. style. Hiromi. Well, no, no, he he actually gets he gets blasted. He's actually yeah. not that far in the background in this thing. There's on this. On this first page of chapter two, you've got the Hiromi there, which, uh, yeah. as Scott says, you know he, he's one of the the bounty hunters that that chases Han and Chewie mm-hmm. here in a minute. You also have in in that first panel at the top, all the way at the back on the on the right hand side, that bearded bandolier wearing guy. That's a hawk. And then on the second panel, the know. little tiny shrimpy guy next to the hooker or whatever she is, that's a Lasby. So they're throwing uh, in aliens from the original run, and I love that because yeah. they're just they're very subtly input there, and I, I think that's great. Um, 
I, I really liked the look of the aliens and everything, even the ones that we didn't necessarily know or anything. My, my only uh, qualm with this or, or whatever is, is just I, I wish that they had thrown in like one really good, like really obviously Infantino inspired alien because he always had the just coolest looking freaky aliens. And, and I would have loved to have seen like the guy like that had the weird like flattened face, if you know what I mean, you know yes. that that sort of thing. I, I I love those aliens he did, but uh, but you know that aside, I, I like that you know there were some recognizable aliens specifically from the Marvel, you know that weren't in the movies, but they were part of the Marvel series uh, proper, and I, I think that's cool. I thought that was really neat. Hmm. It might have been neat to have maybe uh, Marvel Jabba in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's his name? <laughs> Mossep or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, stop me if you guys have other notes on on other pages or what. I'm I'm jumping ahead to uh, where we catch up with uh, Amaza and Jackson. Now, mm. I've always liked Amaza. I always thought she was a, an interesting character and everything, and I, I like you know that they pop up here. And you know, I <laughs> I just have to admit it. I really like Jackson. I I do. I genuinely yes. have an affection for the character. Um, I used to understand or at least try to understand and, and maybe at one time I even kind of sided with the folks that don't like him. But, you know, over the years, I've just come to feel that he's actually pretty cool in, uh, you know, he I think he's just way, way, way overused and way overemphasized to try to illustrate something that just simply isn't true about the series at all, that it, that it was nothing but silly and non-Star Warsy, and more than anything, that, that think, this is all the series, you know, this was the sum total of the series was a big green rabbit. I mean, we we yeah. amply illustrated that, uh, you know, by, by all the prior episodes that we did of this show covering the entire series that, you know, all told, what did Jackson have? He, he only had like a handful of, I mean, I don't think he had many more appearances Maybe than, uh, than Valentine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, right. he may have been three, three, maybe four. If you count the issue 16, where he pretty much, you know, my take on issue 16 was that he was blown away by Valance was killed. Um, but obviously, but, but that's, there's a lot of room for interpretation left there. Unlike, you know, Valance being half human and half cyborg or half. Right. Machine. Um, so I don't have a problem with him not being dead, but uh, I, I always felt like that was kind of a symbolic gesture of, look, we're we're killing that part of Star Wars. Uh, we're killing that part of Marvel Star Wars and giving you something different. See, I, right. I, uh, I, I remember being a kid and not being overly, f not hating Jackson, but not being overly mm -hmm. fond of him because I was just like, oh, it's Bugs, you know, they put Bugs Bunny in here. Yeah. And, and, the, and, you know, and he was like, I'm a wise crack. Don't call me a rabbit and always wise cracking and stuff. So he was basically kind of like a, a an evil Bugs Bunny. Yeah, which well, now he was. I appreciate it being fun. But to visually and just in concept, when I was a kid, I was thinking, man, that wouldn't end up in a Star Wars movie. And I'm thinking that because a Jackson outfit, like in a Star Wars movie, would have been really stupid looking. But now that I think about it, now that we've entered the prequel, post-prequel, and even newer era, where you could make a convincing Jackson, I don't think it would be something that George Lucas or the people who are in charge of Star Wars now wouldn't do it's, some variation of a space rabbit. You know, why not? There's 
there's it's not uh, that different from Jar Jar. Or Jar Jar, it's, yeah. It's, I think he's better that he's a better character than Jar Jar for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know because. Yeah. You know he's uh, he's got the twist. He's got the twist that he's a badass, but he's a he's a a, a green bunny rabbit. So it's and a, and a tough talker. So he's he's fun. I thought my thoughts on Jackson in this episode is, um, you know, we were like, there's a um, risk that this could have been all Jackson all the time. Mm-hmm. They really right, yeah. un- they underplay him in here. They underplay his character. Uh, maybe he's a little older and and more gristled in here, but he's not as he's not making puns and jokes like he did before. And then his and then well we'll get we'll get to his turn at the end. But like I was like you know what if you're gonna put Jackson in here, do it go whole hog and have him have give him some of those corny lines that he had and have him be have his you know maybe he's older and wiser and his ego is in his easily bruised and he doesn't have to prove himself as much but um you know he's got a don't call me rabbit line in here but it's mm-hmm. it's sort of like here's here's his jackson line right here it's his big moment where he's shooting the guy dead um i think i i, I think they under underplayed jackson in this which i'd rather they underplayed him than overplayed him anyway yeah, so right yeah not totally a big agree. complaint well, the, yeah. the one thing you would hate is, you know, this is already a series people think of as the Jackson series to mm. then have the follow up issue be the Jackson issue just to kind of cement it in their minds. That would be terrible. So, yeah, I'm with you totally on that. Underplay him. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, this is one of my biggest notes on the whole issue right here. Um, I, I'm very curious what you guys think. When is this story taking place? Because I get the distinct impression that it's after 106, but before 107. And the reason I I, I think that is, if you'll remember, while they were unspecific about it, there was a time jump in the very last issue of the series. They clearly went ahead in time. And there's a number of of cues in this issue that make me think that this is actually set time-wise before 107 and uh, one of the big ones is that luke is still wearing his return of the jedi outfit uh in Mm. this issue instead of having long hair and being completely muscular and twisted around in absurd ways at the hips (laughs) i i I think they did the time jump in the last one because they knew they were doing the last episode or last issue and they had to you know it made it easier to to sort of make it seem like a more natural ending to all the threads that they'd been introducing up until that point. So, so you could almost like look at this as if this was going to be an ongoing series, it would probably be just sort of discounting one Oh seven a little bit, or it could just build up to a similar. Yeah. I wondered about that too, because you know, there's also, we don't see them, but there's also the reference to the Toph. And that's who they were battling at the at the very end of this of the series. So it's it's Luke being in that outfit in this is is kind of off putting because it, it's it's retrograding him too far, if you know what I mean, because he, yeah. he had abandoned that look by years, you know, by the point of where this story is. Now, again, they're being kind of vague as to exactly where it is. But just the fact that the Hiromi and the Toph are, are either shown or mentioned in this 
kind of sort of places it. So it, it's well beyond Luke, you know, being, you know, visually in that outfit. But then again, his his powers are really ramped up as well. So I think, I know. you know what I think? I think somebody really wanted to draw Luke Skywalker in that outfit. That's what right. I think. <laughs> I, I think also you've got a writer who didn't really pay that much attention to the series in the overall. I mean, let's be honest. He was given some beats to hit. Yeah. Oh, Valance, you know, he's a cyborg. Cyborg, great. Let's draw the Terminator. Um, you know, he's not the Terminator. Uh, I, can't, I keep going back to that, but again, it just kind of shows a certain lack of attention to detail where you see a lot of detail in certain parts. A lot of the story and continuity areas, you don't see uh, a lot of de- attention yeah. to detail. Well, you know, I, I, I look at it this way. We've had 30 or 40 years to really dig dig into it and this was probably this is this is another thing of like why you know they probably had to decide do we want a fanboy or do we not want a fanboy and if we have a fanboy they might fanboy it too much up so if you're not Mm. a fanboy you'd probably your homework would be read all 108 episode issues or at least all issues concerning what you i don't know if they told him these are the story elements you have to use or if he went through and said these are the story elements i want to use well notice that when uh it was time for this issue to come out the only thing marvel reprinted and put out on the stands was number 50 and structurally this is very similar to number 50 in the chapter headings and all that Mm -hmm. uh but uh, you know that may be the only one they made them read you know what this is this is police academy too I hate to say that, but it's Police Academy 2. <laughs> Police Academy 2 is tolerable, but it wasn't written by Neil Israel and Pat Proft, who wrote the original, and it was obvious because things like, you know, Tackleberry actually spoke like a human being in the first film, and in the second film, he talks like a robot. Yeah, it was, and, uh, it was meant, it was It was somebody not, uh, somebody in doing, in trying to do in the style of. Yes, but, but not, not quite, them. not quite right. having paid enough attention to it. Um, so yeah, I, I, and, and, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm fine with it for what it is. I'm glad we got it. (laughs) (laughs) It, 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 it misses some marks, but then again, it also hits some marks and, and that I think also has a lot to do with the original one, not being a perfect series. (laughs) I mean, Scott and I had plenty of episodes where we were just laughing our ass off over stuff. So, you know, I, right. I understand and accept that. So there well, isn't, yeah, the, you know, the, there isn't anything like flat out laughable in this one. This isn't like it, it could, this could have been a visit to the banking guild planet or something, which would have still been consistent, but I really wouldn't have been too happy with that. Right. Well, I, I think that, you know, your, your supposition that, that he's kind of hitting certain beats without ne- maybe necessarily understanding or, or appreciating the fine continuity of the original series. I, I think that's perfectly borne out right here in chapter four, where we get, you know, Leia's Zeltron boy band here. They don't speak. They're just kind of there. Yeah. And then Pliff. Um, I mean, I really like seeing Pliff. I like that he's he's in this. But again, by it, the it, way, it, it's, it's like product placement. You know, it doesn't yes. really... Yeah. Yeah, the you know? Celtrons do nothing except one of them seems to wear an old Peter Chris outfit. <laughs> I'm not sure what that's all. Just one of them. <laughs> but the the layout of these first two pages of this really remind me. It's it's almost like they melded together the layout style of Cynthia Martin with 
a bit of Al Williamson look to it. You know, mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of that really uh, illustrative, planets. especially with the people in the in the detailed planets. And uh, so it's and and even the header on the beginning where you have the the title, and then um, right under it you have Princess Leia and the crosshairs looks very Al Williamson to to me. Yeah, but then when you that see her shooting. I was gonna say when you see her shooting the guy on the hilltop, long hair, kind of a trench coaty looking thing. That's that's Cynthia Martin. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 yeah, it's it's definitely got a lot of and and well they're and well they're back on the planet that she sort of with the characters that she sort of created, but mm-hmm. even even the shot of uh, black garbed Luke is a very synthet with his eyes closed in a sort of meditative state. Like Cynthia Martin seemed to approach Luke like a lot of female writers approached um, um, Spock in Star Trek world when when you would get uh, somebody that they she really got into the into the Jedi meditative side of Luke. There were a lot of shots of him being spiritual or meditative and and focused and and vulnerable you know they they the she she focuses on the vulnerabilities of luke which isn't really that doesn't come out in in this but visually it does and the way princess leia is sort of standing there with her hands on her hip and the other hand up in the air is very reminiscent of cynthia martin to me mm-hmm. well that little inset up there of her really strongly reminds me of uh issue i think it's 68 um where it has uh it's we're we're led to believe it's boba fett on the cover but it's actually fen shisa mm-hmm. it was a gene day illustrated issue he did yep. something like that in in his issues where he was the the illustrator and i find it funny that that picture of her is totally photo referenced but then for the whole rest of chapter four, Leia has some serious bitch face going on. I mean, <laughs> that where she's turning to to talk to Pliff right there looks like she's yeah. about to just rip his head off. She looks just pissed off. And it, it I don't think she is supposed to be. She just it's just She looks not... like someone's holding a turd under her nose, is what she <laughs> looks like. <laughs> yeah, I don't I didn't care for the art in this particular chapter. Well, and she also looks really mean when she, well, she's supposed to, when she pulls the Lando on Han and just like, you know, right. a lot yeah. of nerve coming back here. <laughs> I didn't really consciously think about it until, you know, it, it were presented with it here, but Luke and Jackson had never met each other until this moment. And I thought that was kind of neat, but I also thought it was. Uh, a potential missed opportunity here because it would have been neat to have Jackson uh, reflect on, you know, like have Luke remind him of the star killer kid or something, you know, which would have been kind of meta. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing. I used to know a kid all. like you. Kid or, with a robot or, like you. or I used to know an old Jedi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, Let's see, where am I in my notes? Uh, Luke catching the Falcon. I, I both like and dislike this. The, this was neat, but it occurs to me, taking the, you know, taking the issue as a whole, Luke doesn't really have a lot to do in this issue. He's, mm-hmm. he's kind of the force guy. You know what I mean? 
but as far I, as the overall story goes, I, I just, he, you know, I mean, this is supposed to be his story and he's just, he, he ultimately, he's not really any bigger in this story than say like Jackson and Amaza, you know, he's just no, another and, character. And, and Cynthia, and that was a sort of problem with his, just his character after Jedi, like dealing with his character. Yeah. yeah and Cynthia Martin was one of the first, was, was the first person to address it and make Luke, Luke evolving and being a character in the story again. You know, she, she, she kind of focused on him a lot. So, yeah, I, I think maybe they were like, hey, look, you know, Luke is still getting play in comics right now and stuff. You know, I, I think maybe the main characters didn't get as much coloring in as the side characters in this and the side stuff in it. The dominant tags and the Jacksons and the and the valances were like the elements. Th those are the elements you're not going to get in any other star wars comic right now you know what i mean right. you can go and get some luke right. and han and and leia in in the regular star wars comic or or whatever to focus on their characters but this was like more about you know the crimson forever and thing think things that you know that distinguished that original run nope you're absolutely right if if they were gonna do this as a monthly They'd have to start working on Luke and Leia, and that could be very interesting. It could have been like the what the Star Wars Infinities, right. you know? They could just treat teach, treat this as an infinity, you know? Right. That's what they should do. Is just just call it. I don't know what the Dark Horse to if they've acquired. Well, I, I guess they've acquired. No, every, yeah, Lucas owns everything, so yeah. So yeah, so. But I think we should get into that at the end of, you know, what what do we want the the legacy of this to be or the, you know, the, you know, if, if it does have further legs than this, what, what, I think that's definitely something that we want to get into. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought about that for sure. A <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, few more notes here. This is this is my absolute biggest one of the whole thing. And uh, here you go, kids. This this is probably what you tuned in for right here. Scott's going to go on a rant. OK. Uh oh. So here you go. This this is what you paid for, and uh, I just got to say it. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Resurrecting Valance is a mistake. Period. Marvel Star Wars number 29 is a classic. It's not only one of the best issues of the entire Marvel Star Wars series. It's one of the great moments of the Star Wars expanded universe, the original expanded universe. Plus, it's a damn good comic book on its own. It's, uh, you know, to my mind, it's truly one of the all-time great versus issues. And it has a, per it, it ends the way it needs to end. It's got a perfect ending. Valance had a good arc and he met a tragic yet valiant, you know, valiant end. Uh, he died redeemed and did not need to be brought back ever. I just feel it cheapens the story of his sacrifice isn't actually a sacrifice at all because he doesn't die. Um, I'm sorry, but I hate that part of this issue. Um, if if Rosenberg or, or whoever wanted to take a pre-existing cybernetic character from this run and do a search for their lost humanity slash seeking redemption story, I have a much better recommendation for you. Shira Bree. She's not even mentioned in this story, which is a damn shame. 
And uh, I, I actually, I, I think you could have had her uh, in place of both Valance and Domina in this story, and I think you would have a better story for it. Hey, oh, yeah. I mean, she's got a lot deeper resonance with Luke, too. It would have pulled Luke into the story yeah. more, for sure. Exactly. I think, I think they were trying to go that route, be it kind of mildly and half-assedly, but... I think they were trying to go that route with, you know, Luke at one time was kind of taken with Domina Tag, and I think they right. kind of sort of gingerly touch on that with this. They could have gone whole hog if they had used Shira Bree because he was in love with her, and I argue she was in love with him too. I know she was a double agent and all that shit, but I think she actually was kind of into him. And so I think, you know, there's your she's story. Too cold. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's still, hey, let, let me just, let me throw a little bit of water on that, a little bit of ice water on that, which is uh, what I see in this book is kind of almost a mathematical distribution of the greatest hits being played back out from yeah. Marvel Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and you've got Jackson from the early era. You take Valance out of this, then you are left with practically nothing from the Goodwin Williamson era. Uh, and then you move yeah. on to, you know, uh, kind of an overload towards the era of the book, which did not sell as well, which is the Lumia, you know, uh, Zeltrons all over the place and the guy Toph era. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest thing is I think people love Valance. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not. Valance is now a part of the new canon. I I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah. Hope Alex <laughs> was telling me about that. I, I don't know yeah. how they're handling it, but yeah, it's, and it's not the balance that happens in here, obviously, but no, he's valid. Although he you was... can bring him back to life again, I guess from yeah. space, if you brought yeah. him back before. Sure. But, but yeah, balance balance has shown up in the solo Imperial cadet miniseries, which is legit canon. So, I mean, I think there's a certain popularity of that character. So when you're mining the Goodwin Williamson era, what do you pull up? You can't pull up yellow job of the hut. Uh, right. Maybe the wheel, but I would, I would argue that the wheel is a little lacking in character, although I, I love that and that story. Um, but the, the one that really stands out the most, I think from that era is that huge confrontation with him and Vader. So I think this is almost literally a mathematical, all right, we got to borrow this much from this era, this much from this era, this much from this era, this much from this era. Uh, while I agree with you, that the way in which they brought Valance back was wrong. Uh, I don't have a problem with their bringing Valance back, you know, just like they found a way to tell a decent story, bringing back Jean Grey, who probably should never have brought back, been brought back. Um, you know, they found a way to bring Bucky back and make it an effective, compelling story. Uh, oh, do not get me started. Well, well, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, Uncle Ben's probably the only one that it's legitimately hands off uh, at this point. But uh, I, I don't have, I don't, <laughs> I don't. Well, if if Uncle Ben had powers, they might have explored it. But um, I, I don't have a major <laughs> problem. They're bringing him back, but the the way in which they brought him back was wrong. Um, the the concept of him was completely altered. And uh, again, I I think. What you, the only thing you're really missing in, in your rant there is just the fact that there does seem to be just kind of a let's evenly rip from all of the eras of Star Wars so that everybody can be happy, or Marvel Star Wars, so everybody can be happy well, with getting their thing. Dominant tag may be the only thing, but again, this dominant tag is really not uh, 
she's not really the one of 35 to 37. She's really more the one of 50, if that makes sense. Well, you know, on that, it's funny you say this because here, here's my next note on that subject. So while I really dig the deep references and the callbacks character wise, uh, you know, the fact that there are so many of them only seems to spotlight, at least for me anyway, the notable absences. Now you're, you're saying that they pulled evenly from the different eras. I, I have to, I have to argue because first and foremost, you know, the, you know, you've got, you've got, Shira Bree from that, that middle uh, portion who doesn't even get a mention in this. Mm. Um, I, again, I just think she would have been a better fit, but to me, I mean, but, probably the biggest character I'm trying to remember the, the character when we got to the end and we did our little recap, you know, who were the standouts and that sort of thing. I think this character was number one, number one, he was definitely in the, in the one of the three uh, that's Fen Shisa. Where the hell is Finn? He was a big part of this story at the end. I mean, he was he was one of the at, gang at this point. And, and Mandalorians have become a big and, deal in Star Wars. Yeah, sure. Clone Wars. But again, uh, at the end, he was. But let's, you know, I was actually chatting with John Jackson Miller the other day. I'm going to name drop uh, on Twitter because I was trying. To, I'm, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I've had a project that I've been working on for a few years. I'm mapping a spreadsheet of Star Wars comic <laughs> sales. Uh, are you aware of that? Oh, okay. No, I did not do that. Yeah. No, I've, I've been working I on it for a couple of years. I would be fascinated to see that when that's yeah. completed. Whoa. Well, I, I, I'm back to 1996. The problem is before then, things get a little murky. Right. Um, because just, you know, by virtue of records being kept. And there were so many distribution points for these books back then, whereas now it's diamond. <laughs> that's it. Right. Um, and one of the things that uh, that I use as a reference is John Jackson Miller's standard catalog of comic books, which I don't know if you've heard of this or not, if you know the book. But he goes through and kind of does the circulation statements. And, and, you know, the first couple of years of Marvel Star Wars, it was moving close to 300,000 copies an issue. And that was kind of the norm for the book. I mean, in this day and age, I think we have trouble even grasping that. Um, by the time Empire Strikes Back hit, we're about, you know, 250, 230 or so. Uh, by the time the series wraps up, the circulation statement that was most recent had it at 141 an issue. But based on the, the ratio of capital city orders for that, because they didn't do a circulation statement for that last year. Uh, but John Jackson Miller puts it about 100,000. So you're comparing books that moved... 300,000 copies an issue, 250,000 copies an issue to books that moved 100,000 copies. And and even 107, which was considered, you know, somewhat rare because of its lack of distribution. Um, I, I think, again, you probably have more people who, when they're looking for their greatest hits, look for those things from either the Goodwin-Williamson run or the Michelinie-Simonson run. Um and I think there's some nods to that last era thrown there, but I don't think that's the era that people grasp onto. No, I'll give you that. But I mean, Fenn comes right from that sweet spot of, of between uh, Empire and Jedi. Yeah, sure. But he's so, also problematic at this point. Well, that's what I suspect. See, that's where <laughs> because, I was going with this. Because his origin, his origin is so not prequel friendly. 
it doesn't wash. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's again, that was that that tinkering that I kind of feared going into this. It's mm-hmm. not over. You know, I mean, they, they just simply left him out. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe it's only nerds like me that really love the guy that would even notice. But I noticed and it, and it bugs well, me a little well, bit because if you're going to do a greatest hits album, but you're going to leave off, you know, one of the band's best songs, then I noticed this shit, and, you know, and, and, and I noticed and, it. And, and, it and in all problems. honesty, in all honesty, if they're going to do a tribute or a tip of the hat to the, the Joe Duffy, Cynthia Martin era, I would rather be Lumia than anything. Lumia would have been great. Well, yeah. But again, you're, you're jumping all the way to the end. I, I was just saying, you know, Fenn was there at the end, but Fenn didn't originate there. I, you know, I no. would actually, and, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I would have been fine if they left everything post return of the Jedi completely out of this book, because I could understand it from, like you say, from a sales <laughs> Uh, perspective even from a you know even the hardcore fans a lot of them really hate you're one of them really hate that particular era at least art wise i'm not a fan of the era so and and i I appreciate that i i do but what i'm talking about is like you know my other big example danny rick and cheeto where the hell are they i mean danny's mentioned yeah but you know again are they problematic maybe because rick is pretty much uh what's his name uh you mentioned Dash it from Rendar. Dash Rendar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, you know, do you really, now that Han is back and he's in this, do you need Rick? Not really. I mean, Rick was a placeholder for Han the same way Dash was. Rendar was. So I, I, I understand, you know, from a logical point of view where certain omissions fall in, but it just, it still bugs me because, you know, here you've got two, of my personal three, and I, I would argue, you know, if you polled Star Wars and Marvel Star Wars fans, these two characters would probably make most everybody's, you know, top three or five favorite original characters list. That being Shira and and Fen Shisa. So throw me a bone, at least mention them or something. I mean, at least Danny gets a mention, but the, yeah, these yeah. characters were just completely left out altogether, well, and that well, just it made it I, feel I, awkward. I have a theory about that in that when I, when I, you know, one of the big things that I wondered about when I got this in my hand was how is this going to be? Is this just going to be, they're going to pretend that they're doing 108. And what they did was they, they did the greatest hits. They did, you mm-hmm. know, a, a Christmas special sort of thing, but like yep. that makes it sound yeah. worse than it is. They actually like, no, it's not, we're, it's we're not able a to craft book. it into a coherent no, hose whole no. But I'm glad um, you said that because I, I, I at this point, I think it does bear, you know, stating and, and I, I can't even remember if I said it previous. I was going to say reiterating, but I'm not sure I've even said it. I liked the book. I yeah, enjoyed the Absolutely. feel I got from the book. I mean, it, it did hit a lot of sweet spots for me. So I don't want to sound like, oh, I just hated this. I, I mean, honestly, hate's a strong word. The only part dissection. that I hated was bringing balance back. But overall... You know, I'll forgive all the other shit because this was fun. It, it, was, it was a it was a revisit with old friends, and I I well, appreciated that. You know. Well, I wondered yeah. when when it came out, how are they going to do it? Is it going to be a test run, for you know maybe we'll do a, a maybe if this sells a lot, we'll do a series. We'll just keep going well, on with the numbers. Let's and talk about when, that. When I looked yeah. at when I looked at that at this one, I thought to myself, I don't think that's what they're that I don't think that's a possibility they're thinking of, 
But what I do think they're doing is they did this as a test run of like, how do you like this? So maybe, you know, a couple years down the line, they might do Star Wars 109. And well, and that might be and, and maybe they maybe they were like, we can't do everybody because we could do this again. You know, well, they could do it again with Fen Shaisa and Shira Bry this time mm-hmm. in the story or something right. if this one proved to be really popular or resonant so well let's talk about that yeah uh, and i agree with you. i mean i think this was a one-shot only deal just because they wanted to do something you know they're doing different things with different titles for marvel's 80th mm-hmm. anniversary and i think obviously oh 80th anniversary let's go back and do old school star wars but now let's look at the reality because the sales figures are out and somebody's keeping a spreadsheet so uh, <laughs> for the month, this book was the third highest selling. I'm going to, dis- I'm going to discount. Technically it was the fourth highest selling star Wars book of the month. Uh, but one of those I think is a, a very big fluke because I think Disney, uh, interfered with the numbers. If that makes sense. Uh, the original numbers on number one of galaxy's edge in April were 30,000. And that's about in line with a lot of these things these days. Uh, and then suddenly there was a reorder of 60,000 copies. Uh, and I think what that is, is Disney stocking the parks. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't, that technically was the highest selling star Wars book of the month, but I think it was a hundred percent Disney orders and not actual store orders. Um, so we look at the best selling books of the month and you've got, uh, 41,474 for star Wars, regular star Wars, number 66. And this is where I'm going to kind of blow your minds a little bit followed by age of Republic or age of rebellion, Boba Fett, 41,145. And then star Wars, 108, 40,284. Then the regular ongoing star Wars series, 65 sold 38,833 copies. So they released two issues of Star Wars in May, the regular ongoing Star Wars series. This book outsold one of those books. There you, you go. Could, you could make a case that the old mm-hmm. school Marvel Star Wars is as or more popular than their iteration of Star Wars currently. Mm-hmm. The, now, the other well, Star Wars also is getting diluted by, you know, I'm sure the all the how many how many Star Wars titles are there coming out right now? Well, there's a bunch two. of one shots. Yeah, there's there's kind of there kind of are two. Um, it's kind of two no, and a bunch too of too many is what shots. I meant. Oh, too many. Uh, yeah. Well, there were 15 titles released in May. No, 19. I'm sorry, 19 titles released in May. Hey, Jesus. 19. Hey. Um, there were there was regular Star Wars, two issues of that. There was Doctor Afro, which, by the way, I have no idea how that's still in circulation. Sold 21,838 copies in May. Uh, it is, it is a, a that's, it, it's a cesspool of sales. Um, Star Wars Adventures came out. The Darth Vader Dark Visions came out. TIE Fighter miniseries came out. Galaxy's Edge. And then uh, those uh, Age of Republics one shots, the original Marvel years. And then a bunch of those uh, True Believers dollar reprints came out. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, there were 19 different titles altogether. Yeah. Uh, of Star Wars that came out in comic shops. So yeah, so this in is May. this is top of the crop. 
now then again it's been 30 years brewing too so mm -hmm. there's there's that well, you know but... this my my biggest hope for this is that i know it was solicited as a one shot i know it was written and presented and and sold as a one shot my biggest hope for this though is that somebody you know, first of all, I, I was hoping that it would sell, you know, well enough that maybe this isn't the last we'll see of all this world. But it, it looks like maybe that's happening. Maybe that has happened. So now, you know, I, I, I want to see them follow up. But, you know, I, I think I suspect what what may have happened with this. You know, because frankly, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. I really, you know, here it is, it is uh, you know. It's not perfect, and I have some some issues with parts of it, but it it was mm -hmm. a lot of fun, and I still maintain that you know resuming the series where you know they left off was what Marvel should have done from the get go, the moment that they reacquired the license, or, or at least you know thrown us a, a, this bone earlier. Um, I kind of feel like maybe this is almost an, an acknowledgement of that of sorts, you know, and and some of the other things they've done, you know, like. You know, kickstarting volume two with cheap shots at, at the original series, I think, was a mistake. And I think maybe yep. they realize that now. And I suspect that one of the big reasons that this sold as well as it did, you know, like you say, it, it just outsold, uh, you know, the, the original series or, you know, the, uh, the the ongoing series, I should say, mm -hmm. you know, that's coming out concurrently. I, I suspect part, at least part of that is that there are fans out there right now, Star Wars fans, that consider themselves Star Wars fans. They consider themselves diehard Star Wars fans or, or old school or whatever, however you want to classify it, that are feeling a little disenfranchised right now with the directions that, that Star Wars has gone and, and is yes. currently going. And so I think there's a there's a bit of a need, there's a bit of a nostalgia thing going on. There's a, there's a little bit of, or maybe a lot bit, of you know gee where where's my star wars where wh you know i mm -hmm. still love this franchise i may not dig x y or z that are being put out for me right now but i still love my star wars just give me give me something to latch on to maybe this is that life preserver you know maybe this well, is that thing that people even if they weren't all that crazy about the original marvel star wars run it, this is still you know, from it's that a connection to their Star Wars. Exactly. And mm -hmm. uh, man, I'm telling you, they, they'd be fools to squander this goodwill, you know, the, well, to squander this opportunity. Think about the opening of Galaxy's Edge. Who was there? Uh, Lucas. Uh, Mark Hamill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Ford, Luke Han and uh, Lando. Billy D. Williams. You didn't have Finn. You didn't have Ray. You didn't have Rose Tico. You right. didn't have any of those guys. You had the well, three. I think, guys. I think there's I think I th I think there's some old school Star Wars brewing because a I don't know if you guys watched the footage of the Mandalorian not to go off too far, but that was looking like somebody going like we're gonna shoot this on film, mm. you know, and it's gonna be the grit element of Star Wars. But behind the scenes, there's been some you've been hearing Lucas's name. Lucas seems to have come to some point of peace with star wars maybe just the but, fact that he was at the galaxy's edge premiere made well, my ears perk up like how well, the hell did they mm -hmm. get him how about how about this he's that they, they just gave 
the the showrunners of Game of Thrones are running three Star Wars movies, and George Lucas was just quietly directing scenes for that first episode of Game of Thrones of the new season. Mm-hmm. So he's hanging out with the showrunners of Game of Thrones who are making a Star Wars movie. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying someone someone might be missing <laughs> missing his old home a little bit, you know. And, and someone's maybe, old home might be missing him. Or maybe Yeah, or maybe I suspect he saw it's more of that. Or that. Or there might be a little of that, or there might have been he saw something he liked or he didn't like, or something sp- seems to have spurred George Lucas to where he's like, I'd sort of like to maybe get my fingers in here a little bit. And you know it's not money. So you know what I think it is, honestly, and and, and I, you know, I don't care. I, I didn't take credit before, but this time, damn it, I'm taking some credit and, and I'm including you guys as well. I think the three of us were on to something when we started to sing George's praises in light of the new shit that we've been getting. And I've noticed a groundswell of this on the Internet. As a matter of fact, Mr. Plinkett was bitching about the fact that, you know, all of a sudden there's all this prequel love. You know, when the when the new stuff comes out and to a lot of fans is disappointing or underperforming or whatever the case may be. I, you know, I don't care about any of that. I've long said George Lucas is the be all end all of Star Wars for a lot of fans, myself included. I mean, they can come out with some stuff that I like and I appreciate. You know, Rogue One wasn't a bad little movie, but at the end of the day, without Lucas involved, it just isn't Star Wars to me. A lot so of people don't even I under- think that's starting to happen. And I know George pays attention to this shit because that's why he sold to Disney in the first place. Mm-hmm. He yeah. got so pissed off with the fan backlash and, and them, you know, denigrating him and running the man down about what he tried to do with the prequels that he finally said, you know what, screw this. And he buggered off and got his four billion dollar check. I don't blame the guy. Mm-mm. You know, it's got to be tough to day after day after day. See yourself just lambasted all over the Internet. You know, when you were trying to to give the fans, you know, what they wanted and and produce a quality thing that just for whatever reason didn't connect with, uh, you know, with people and, you know, God bless him. So if he's now all of a sudden he's interested in coming back because the tide has turned and people are like, gee, maybe we're too hard on old George, you know, then, you know, good for him. I think that's wonderful. I I want the guy back. I want him involved in Star Wars. I would rather see. Now I'm 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 one of those people I I'm I'm more or less happy with the new Star Wars. I'm I'm very happy with the new Star Wars in the animated form and the movies the movies are working for me to whatever that's a different topic for yeah. that's been gone over a million times. Yeah. But um I think a lot of people have realized that like they they're like you know what I don't. I'm almost happier with a bad decision made by George Lucas, or a decision that they feel is a bad decision. But those mm-hmm. bad decisions are George Lucas decisions, and sometimes yep. they yes. bear out. Like in the prequels, that was sort of him getting back into filmmaking. I look at the 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 there's sort of a hidden period of George Lucas creativity that's hidden in Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Where he really took an active part, like Dave Filoni's uh, really the heartbeat of the animated Star Wars universe. Yep. But when he was working hand in hand with George Lucas, George Lucas, you know, Hope and I went through every episode of that and Hope went deep in the, the research of how the episodes were made and written and stuff like that. And George Lucas 
would was always coming into them and going like, I have an idea about something different with this, the force and or or something. And he had a lot of great a lot of great ideas were coming out in the Clone Wars. And it was just interesting that he made the, this trilogy. And then in the Clone Wars, he got to sort of tinker with it. And it was almost even more interesting, but it made the trilogy more interesting. So basically what I'm saying is when George Lucas is at the helm, you're seeing an artist at his at his work with his creation. Sometimes things go wrong, but it's all still part of that whole. And there is definitely a distinct difference. You, you, you can feel his absence in the last yeah. two Star Wars movies. I, and, I remember, yeah. And remember. God forbid when john williams leaves the world what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah i remember walking out of the force awakens it's a movie i liked a lot but the first thing i still said is i wish i could have seen what george would have done yep. yeah first thing i said yep and i mean i mean that and you know whatever you say about the the new movies i don't even see that as being a slight against the new movies or a criticism no. but it's just going to happen no matter who does yeah. it there's nobody like that's even if say spielberg took it over who i think is one of the people like most mentally not aligned with george lucas but could be like i'm going to think like george lucas on this one i don't think it would be the same with him either you know it's no. having it's his baby I think Force Awakens was the closest you'll get to a Steven Spielberg directed. Yes, uh, sure. Star Wars sure. movie. That was my thought in the first like <laughs> thirty seconds after the crawl. I was just yeah. like, "Oh, this feels like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark." Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so many of his yeah, so many of his stylistic shots were right in there. Which makes sense. He's sort of the understudy of Steven Spielberg in a lot yeah, of ways. So yeah, sense. Of course pet of steven spielberg whatever <laughs> you know what i took put my issue away are we done talking about it <laughs> um, i just realized it was on the ground let me think here i i got most of my notes let's see if there was any really anything relevant um they, they a, a lot of the other happy ending yeah you know, really a lot of the other stuff comes down to to nitpicky stuff um but just real quick i noticed that uh at the beginning of chapter six, art-wise, it looks like Chewie's nodding off. And then I noticed that from that point on, he completely disappears from the story. Well, that's uh, my only real other major note is there's not a there's some Chewie lines, but there's no good Chewie lines in there. If they would have listened to Star Wars Monthly uh, Monday, they would have put a Hurlk in there, a Merlk, Nurl, Gronk, Grogalongalonk, anything. Something <laughs> something that just doesn't sound like a variation of Rur or Roar. Or rar. Right. Gronk. I wanted a Gronk. He says Grar. That's, my, that's my favorite. Uh, that's still my favorite Chewy line is Gronk. Um, I thought it was Nurk. <laughs> I like right. that one too. Uh, I did. You know, I appreciated some of the other nods we got. We got. Uh, I'm presuming they were Dengar, Bosk, and IG-88. I mean, they could have been just people that kind of sort of look like them or the same species or make of droid or whatever, but. Just the fact that they were in the original uh, Crimson Forever, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be them. I thought that was kind of a nice little nod. Um, I have a confession to make, and Scott, I think you feel the same way, that I never cared all that much for the original uh, Crimson Forever issue. 
you know that's that's hard because um yeah we did talk about this a little bit briefly I, I I love Archie Goodwin and I love Al Williamson and I love them working together and I love the newspaper strips they did. Uh, but when issue 50 came out, I never found it on the newsstand. I never saw it. I was not, it wasn't until I was in my twenties that I finally found a copy of it and, and bought a copy of it. But before then I didn't, I never had this. this so it's really, it, it that story kind of wasn't part of my, my Star Wars you know my headcanon, my childhood growing up headcanon. I yeah. remember being dis- I remember being really excited with it, especially because of Al Williamson, and I was just I was I remember being completely underwhelmed by it, a little disappointed because I had really high expectations for it, and it was okay. I was, you know, yeah, yeah. I was disappointed in that one because it has such a gorgeous cover on it. Um, I'm trying to remember who yeah. it. I think oh, that's it, Tom I Palmer, say it's isn't it? Simonson and Palmer, or maybe it's just Palmer just, alone. I think it was I just Palmer. I think it's just Palmer, yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, not that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Al Williamson's an incredible artist, but you know, they're they're completely dissimilar styles. And I always equate Goodwin and Sim- uh, Williamson with Marvel. Or excuse me, I'm getting myself confused. I, I equate. Goodwin and Williamson with the the newspaper strip. Yes. Well, and the adaptations. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and, the cover and, was and the Palmer by himself, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. No, it's not. It's not. No, I'm sorry. It's Simonson and Palmer. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just I, while I love the newspaper stuff and I love the Marvel Star Wars stuff, it, it's one of those things where I I don't want my my chocolate and my peanut butter. You know what I mean? I, I like to keep those worlds separate. And uh, I, I don't know. There was just something about Fifty that never it never really struck a chord with me somehow. Plus, uh, and I know I told this story you know when we covered issue Fifty, but I remember getting royally fussed out by my grandfather when I bought that issue because that issue cost seventy five cents, and he was mm-hmm. incensed that I was wasting seventy five cents on a silly comic book because you know that was a special double issue and. I forget how much the regular issues were going for at that time, I think but they seventy-five were 65 cents at that time. Were they? I think was so. It that 60 much or, or sixty-five? I was it was cheaper than that because yeah. yeah, that issue was fifty. I, I can look it yeah. up. I got it all right here. What's fifty-one? Fifty-one was yeah, fifty cents. Fifty cents. Yeah. So yeah, still a bargain for. But you know what else is funny is when I did read that story. Um, it reminded me of a story from the original newspaper strips, the Russ Cochran or not, uh, Russ Manning strips. Yes. Um, where they had the, uh, I can't remember the name of the disease. Bledsoe's disease. Yeah. yeah. Bledsoe's disease. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I first read that, I thought, well, that's kind of the same thing. We've kind of already done this. You know, he got bitten by the rat on the sand crawler or whatever. And, uh, I I can't remember if I mentioned this when we covered 50, but, I, I, I think I misremembered 50 as Luke getting stars in his eyes because that's what happens to him when he catches Bledsoe's yep. in that newspaper strip. He got stars in his eyes. Yep, and that is the first newspaper strip I ever read of Star Wars. So that one always, always stuck with me as far as my childhood headcanon mm-hmm. growing up. And yeah. the number 50, the Crimson Forever one, didn't because I just never, I never saw it on the stands. Have you read the newspaper stuff? Oh, yeah. I've got the three hardcover collections. 
So I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but we talked and talked and talked about that while we were doing Star Wars Monthly Monday, mm-hmm. but we never did actually cover it. Guys, I would love to bring this show back and cover that stuff. I uh, I love that stuff. I really do. And uh, about a, it's probably been about a year or so ago now, I bought the Russ Manning. They, they did a... Uh, well, they've reprinted that stuff several times, but they actually did a reprinting that reprints the strips the way they were presented. That not, you know, they did the reprinting where they did it like comic book style, where they took yeah. the panels and, and rearranged. But they actually did a printing, and I think it's kind of hard to find now. I'm not sure it's still in print, but they did a reprinting of that stuff where they actually printed it the way it was presented, you know, strip style. And oh my. God, do I love that? Yeah, remember back awesome. in the 2008 days, and you, you, I imagine you still have them. You had the yellowed cut out, cut out of the yeah, paper. Yeah, I still have them. Yeah, ones. I have those too. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and you would, and in the early days of Two True Freaks, when we didn't have Facebook and we were on a news group, um, we were, remember every week you would, we, we would scan and post. Yeah. We were, or it was either every week or every day you you would send me a handful of scans and then I would take them and photo put them in Photoshop and bright, brighten them, them back yeah. to white take out the rips and like try to restore them to and and we were putting one up every week or so we stopped doing it because it turned out to be a, just a shitload of work to do now yeah. now Scott when you talk about the reprinting those strips are you talking about the ones they just did in the last couple of years this was, uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a big hardcover collection book. It was, I don't know, the book was probably, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks, something like that. They did, they did three, three $50 volumes that reprinted everything. IDW did. Yeah, I'm aware of those. I, I don't, I don't have those. I'm aware of them, but I, even those, I don't think reprint them the way that, that oh, I yeah, wanted to. Oh, do they? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, they're straight up. But do they have the Russ Manning stuff in them? Yes, the first volume is all oh, okay. the Russ Manning stuff, and then okay. uh, they, the the next two volumes are the Goodwin Williamson stuff. But yeah, they, and you can get each of those volumes for about thirty bucks on Amazon right now. Well, what I what I've got then may actually be just maybe it's just the first volume of what became a three issue or you know a three volume thing. I'm I'm not really sure, but the one that I've got is just strictly the the Manning strips. Yeah, that volume that, yeah. that. There's any yeah. if there's any readers who got a used copy of that that they want to part with on the cheap, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it, they're all great though. If I it means them. reviving Star Wars Monthly Monday, I think it would be worth it to them. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. I really do. That I, I remember. I still it, remember yeah. them to this day. Like I remember reading in the paper that like those first couple Russ Manning strips, because that was really exciting to have Star Wars comics in the paper. And I remember that yeah. spy, that like black weird, hole, weird black hole looking yes. spy. Yeah. Yes. They did an action figure of him. Did they? They did. They did. You know those two packs that they were doing where they, were, they reprinted a comic uh-huh. and then they had two action figures? Yeah. They did a. They did one of those packs and um, one of the figures was a the all black, the shadow trooper. And uh, one of the figures was black hole with his little holographic projector. Yeah, yeah. I wow. never did. I wanted to get it and I never did get it. One of these days I got to track that down because 
these days there's not a whole hell of a lot of Star Wars merch I want, but I still want that. Just yeah. you know, just the fact that they made a an action figure out of that, I always thought was cool. And I always thought oh. the Shadow Troopers were damn cool. Speaking of Star Wars merch in the Star Wars Monthly Monday tradition, I, I'm going to chime in with my latest Star Wars acquisition. Oh, do it. What'd you get? Ephemera. Weird, <laughs> w- weird Star Wars items. Um, one of them not one of them weirder than the other. One of them falls more into that category than the other. I've got the um, big note music series of Star Wars main theme and the Imperial March, arranged by Dan Coates, who has like arranged a lot of like pop music for. Like Piana. basically for little kids that were getting that were in taking piano lessons, yeah. and you could buy them a song they liked, and they would. T- and this is young enough that this, this is a star. The Star Wars main theme, is the one that I'm most interested in describing because the Imperial March, like the cover to that is basically the, the a black and white version of the cover of the album of Darth Vader. You know the shiny, sparkly mm-hmm. Darth Darth Vader in space. Right. But, but the Star Wars main theme arranged by Dan Coates is a Big Note Color Me series, which <laughs> has the generic cover for all of his Color Me series, which is a doofy clown holding a crayon, standing on top of a piano notes with a with a what with a sort of it like um, balloon <laughs> tied to his, and it's a special bonus Color Me picture inside. So you open it up, and there's the crudest picture of a of a x-wing and tie fighter just flying on a um, blake background with 1978 columbia pictures as the copyright on it and then the sheet music to star wars so it's a very Uh, like you would never even notice that it was star wars except in the upper corner you know star wars is printed as the logo but otherwise it looks like just some kids little I also got the theme, the same version with the same cover with the theme of Close Encounters. <laughs> this one garage sale. And the, wow. the, it was one of those things where it was like, how much for these? And she's like, I don't know. Those are my husband's. And she looks on her piece of paper and she goes, he wants $6 a piece for those. And I'm what? like, and I'm like, that can't be, that can't be right. And I'm like, well, no, thanks. She's like, let me call him. And I'm like, oh, God, no. So she goes inside and calls him, and she's gone for like five minutes and comes out, and she's like, look, I'll just give you all of them for $6. How does that sound? I'm like, okay. (laughs) She couldn't get him on the phone, so hopefully he was really pissed off when he came home and didn't get $18 for his (laughs) issue. It's got writing on it from the music class and stuff. I I just love stuff like that, just weird sideline stuff. Maybe it's... Like, you know how they say rock stars, they get famous and they get all the groupies and then they start getting really kinky and weird tastes. That's, I've, 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 I've played with with it. That's what they say. That's what they say, Scott. Um, but but let's, I mean, Scott Reifen could tell you a little bit about Gene Simmons. That's true. um, I I think he always had weird tastes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. My, my my housemate used to date their uh, merch guy, and he has some stories. Basically, basically the, the, the word on the street was don't handle Gene's um, laptop without gloves on. Yeah. So, 
but you know, you start after you've after you've handled and seen almost every Star Wars toy that you've ever wanted or or had it go through your hands through eBay or whatever and just have a house full of Star Wars stuff, you start wanting to get the weirder stuff. I like I wish I had the money and time to track down all the like bootleg stuff, you know? Yeah. And the weird funky stuff like that now. Yeah. I My tastes have become stuff. twisted and warped. I think we all knew that though. <laughs> yes. I've become <laughs> quotes. <laughs> Well, I think the only thing really left to talk about is uh, we, we kind of hinted at it before that uh, Valance has, has found new life in the uh, the, the revised That's what I hear. expanded universe. Yep. That is the, correct. The, the, the new expanded universe, in, you know, including like rebels and stuff, doesn't seem shy about going like, well, this thing from Legend is really popular and was kind of a good character or element. Let's bring it back in some way, way, shape, or form, which is, that was my prediction when they did the buyout. I'm like, they'll mine it. They'll still mine it for stuff. They'll oh, yeah. Bring, it, bring the stuff back on their own terms, you know? Yep. Well, that's, you know, when they first announced it, that was the big thing. It was like, we have 17,000 characters now. Mm -hmm. That was really like one of the first things they started saying about it. So it was like, yeah, yeah. Th they'll bring it all back in, in as you say, their way. However it fits in the what, whatever they're doing. Yeah, and and without the baggage from before, because I think that's a lot of it too, is you know, when you, you buy a franchise like a Star Wars and you set something 30 years after the last thing that the mainstream audience had anything to do with, you don't want to say, well, in this 200 no novels that we put out recently, this, 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 and this happened, catch up. You want to yeah. give them something that's accessible, and then you kind of work backwards from there. No, I don't know if the, if the Valance thing in the new if if it, does this Han Solo thing take place pre you know Rebellion Han Solo like yeah, it's, younger? it's uh, Imperial Cadet. It's during his it's it would actually be set during the continuity of the film. If you remember, there he joins the force, and then it's like three mm. years later. It's mm -hmm. what's happening during those three years. Okay, that's that sounds like an interest, but you know, so so they can bring Valance in any way they want with that, mm -hmm. you know, they can because he's pre cyborg or, he, or he's pre where he's appeared in any of continuity that we've seen. Yeah, I think he's so. Still totally so they can do anything they want with him from that point on, or just or it could just be a nod to old continuity. Do Do you know if they plan on? him being a recurring character if he's like a major character in the story or anything so not, there's a there's a new series that's going to come out um not long from now when the listeners will be hearing this uh it says it's uh, going to be published july 3rd 2019 uh it's going to be called star wars target vader and this is what uh, the solicits for it are it says the hunter darth vader is on the hunt for a mysterious crime syndicate operating outside of the Empire's rule. But little does he know he's hunting, uh, excuse me, he's being hunted by a group of the galaxy's deadliest bounty hunters hired by the syndicate to take out Vader once and for all, led by fallen Imperial officer, is it Bylart? They gave him a, no, a name later on uh, in like trading cards or something. But anyway, Valance. Uh, he's being you know, led by fallen Imperial officer Valance. This ragtag group of assassins will stop at nothing to kill the biggest bounty of their lives. So basically Valance is coming back uh, going after Vader. So it's interesting. And that 
If you look this up on, uh, I'm looking at it here. It's, uh, I think this is Wikipedia, but it comes up as something different. It comes up as starwars.fandom.com slash wiki slash target Vader. Uh, the cover is really cool. It's very, uh, it's very reminiscent of the old run and, and Valance's outfit is very reminiscent of his outfit from, uh, Star Wars number 16. So it, it looks interesting. Looks like it we could shall be. see. But this, this to me, begs the question of, is the Valance that we saw in this issue, 108, the way he is, because maybe somebody got their wires crossed or something with this Valance that, that is going to be basically uh, a Terminator with a human brain? I suspect so. Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe... It, maybe not even say confused, but they were just like, let's yeah. do it that way to cut to to cut off future confusion with somebody who might read the book and then see this and go, right. wait, what? You know, see, I don't I know. The, the way the internet because... is, there's a very I just find there's a very low chance of people who pick up this issue and go like, what's going on? What's hey, what's happening here? Especially when it explains it all at the end of it too. Mm. So right. I discovered this just entirely by accident because these days if you go to Wikipedia, certain characters have two bios depending on whether they are considered uh mm. whether they exist in, in the new canon or as legends. And uh Valance just happened to have both. He has a legends entry and a canon entry. And that really intrigued me. I'm like, wait, uh, so, you know, what is that? You know, I was reading the, the Legends one, of course. This is why I was trying to look up. I was trying to justify my thought that he was half and half, like we discussed before, you know, half mm-hmm. human, half cyborg. So that's why I looked him up on Wikipedia. And that's when I discovered, oh, wait, he has a, a canon entry, too. And then reading down that, I'm like, oh, this is a completely different valance but of course he's meant to be an homage to the legends version so he might become valance because of darth vader you know he might get cut up by darth vader and no i i think he's already because he's already a cyborg i I think yeah the cover's got him yeah the cover's got his glowing eye yeah and his uh you know kind of arnold schwarzenegger you know arnold terminator looking you know, half a Terminator face showing through yeah. kind of thing. Mm. Oh, okay, cool. So, but yeah, it, it looks like it could be art. I, I like. I don't know the uh, cover art, but I, I like the the look of it. And Target Vader number one is going to be in stores July third. So I'm going to have to check that out. Yep, for sure. Well, I don't know about you guys. Uh, that's pretty much all I got. The only thing I have left to say is uh, I hope somebody at uh, Marvel slash Disney is listening. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go on record as saying it. Give me more of this. I'll pay good yep. money for it. Yep. Might even do a podcast about it. <laughs> oh, and the only thing, yeah, the only thing I got to say is uh, to answer a listener question. Yes, Mark Kambach, we are going to do a Star Wars Monthly Monday on this comic.
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.